amigos, amigas, players, playwrights, dude, dudettes, everybody in between. We are back now for a episode that uh, ends in an even number, 70. Murph didn't like the previous episode because it was after 68 and before 70, but hey, this one's 70, so <laughs> welcome. <laughs> hey, everybody, it's Murph. <laughs> welcome back to the show. And I am the uh, world's most recognizable, unpaid Tommy Bahama brand ambassador, former detective and state trooper which Murph likes to make fun of Morgan, right? Hey, but we're glad that you guys are back with us. Don't laugh. It's true. You know, you know, you, you know, you know, you wanted to be one. Now, I, right. I'm, I don't make fun of troopers. I just give you a hard time. Just make fun of me. Yes. <laughs> well, Hey guys, well, thanks for joining us. Uh, we're just going to do a little bit of housekeeping before we get into the fun. This one is going to be a fun episode. You'll find out here in a minute. So, Hey, head on over to Apple and Spotify. Those five stars, those reviews really help us out a lot. We appreciate all the help you guys do for us. So just head on over there. Leave your comments. Uh, tell us what you think. We really appreciate it. We look forward to it. And uh, guys, it helps us make the show better. So really head on over there. Apple, Spotify, five stars. We appreciate it. Also head on over to our website, gameofcrimespodcast.com. Everything's there. We've got books. You know, we've got um, things. Our, our mailing list is there. Our merch is there. So head on over, get some stuff to rep the brand as Marlon Carlson did. Called. Uh, he's got a Facebook account or Twitter account called Making a Podcaster. He still hasn't made a podcast yet. So get get off your ass. Make a podcast. Yeah, but did you? Uh, see the picture i saw it down at disney yeah <laughs> that was fantastic <laughs> he's in the he's in the magic kingdom and he's got a shirt on the front that says evil is coming yep. it's the daddy it's a bad man <laughs> i loved it <laughs> <laughs> hey uh, follow us on social media and you'll find pictures like that he just posted at game of crimes on twitter at game of crimes podcast on facebook and the instagram but where you gotta be i guarantee you, i say it three times and murph will answer where do you gotta be where you gotta be where you gotta be Got to be over on our Patreon page. See, gotta, it's like magic. I say it three times and Murph answers. Hey, next thing you know, I might turn into Beetlejuice, so be careful. But come over and check us out on Patreon. It's, it's content that you're not going to hear on the regular podcast. Yeah, there's a little bit of a fee, but we hope that once you listen to some of the stuff on there, you'll think it's worth it. Give us a shot here. There's a lot of different... I, we've got as much content on Patreon as we do on the podcast, probably more. More. Unbelievable. Uh, no, it's not unbelievable. It's believable when you see, you know, how much time we spend looking at each other over a video camera and recording stuff. It's believable. Well, not to mention the research that goes into this stuff. It's uh, I don't think I did this much study when I was in college. We scowl the bowels of the Internet so you don't have to. That is our new motto. So we, we find the stuff nobody else wants to find. But, yeah, it's on Patreon. We just uh, dropped uh, Episode 6 of The Real DEA Narcos, talking about The Real DEA Narcos Cali Edition. We've got 911, What's Your Emergency, coming up, another case. Um, if you are at the right levels, then you get access to our Narcometers, where we review a month, um, movie every month that's law enforcement related. This month it was Al Pacino. Uh, depends on where you're listening at to this in time, but uh, if you're listening to it in uh, September or October of the year 2022, uh, in the year 2525, that's Zager and Evans. That's a different song. Anyway, I digress. I'm sorry, sorry, I fell asleep there. First, first drinking thing. But anyway, <laughs> guys, we got a lot of good stuff there on the Patreon. So go over there, patreon.com slash game of crimes. Yep. But also, what? You're going to say something? No, I just said, yep, I'm agreeing yep. with you. Oh, yep, yep, yep. You're agreeing. Of course you agree with me. I'm right. <laughs> Get it right. Anyway, paypal.com. Just uh, go over, use our email, gameofcrimespodcast at gmail.com or paypal.me slash gameofcrimes, whatever it makes it easier for you to support the show. Now, just uh, if you want to support the show too, hey guys, uh, go to Facebook, type in Game of Crimes fans. Uh, our mafia queen there, Sandy Salvato, who rules the roost. Guys, just if you have a heartbeat and you can put three letters together on a keyboard, just say yes or, you know, I agree. Whatever it takes, just join the club. Uh, head, you know, head on over there with us. We have a lot of fun in there, don't we, Murph? As, as I catch you in the middle of a cough, you hit the mute button and you're coughing. 
Oh, I hit the mute button and still heard it? No, I, I, but I could tell you were coughing. Yeah. Now, I mean, come on over and check it out. Sandy does a, a fantastic job. You're going to see some funny stuff on there that come in from the, from the fans on the fan page that I tell you what, some of the stuff I read just makes me fall out of my chair laughing. Uh, some of it's a little bit sad. We try and respond to as much of it as we can. Um, just try us out. And you know what? It's free. It doesn't cost you anything. No, doesn't cost you anything. Just head on over to Game of Crimes fans. But before we get into the rest of the show, Murph, I have to tell you, we have to have our standard disclaimer. This is a show about crime. We talk about bad people doing bad things and bad people doing bad things to good people. We take the stories extremely seriously, but... If you're new to this, you're going to learn. We never take ourselves serious here. We're going to have some fun. We cover some serious topics, but we're going to have some fun doing it. Yes, and we're one of the ways we have fun and one of the ways we show you we don't take the show seriously, I have to ask you, Murph, guess what time it is? Guess what time it is? Guess what time it is? I bet it's time for... Small town, town police, police blotter. <laughs> so one of the ways we do have fun is we bring you the stories, the weird stories of Murph. Even though this is not a Florida story, this has a Florida connection. We were just talking about Magic Kingdom. We were just talking about Disney. Mm-hmm. You're not going to believe this, Murph. Donald okay. Duck. Uh-oh, what Donald do? 1052 Taggart Avenue, Northeast. I guess apparently that's where Donald lives was arrested by Massillon police. I'll have to look up where Massillon is. At 5.36 p.m. Saturday after police said he hit a car while in the drive-thru of Little Caesars Pizza. 812 Lincoln Way East, according to Sheriff's Report. Duck, duck, duck smelled of alcohol and was in possession of marijuana. Police said duck was charged with driving while intoxicated and two misdemeanors. I'll bet you if you check into it a little bit, if somebody named Donald Duck probably does meth. What do you I think? bet he does too. <laughs> I wonder if uh, I wonder if Daisy, I wonder if Daisy dimed him out. I wonder, you know, when the police were talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I don't Who know named her kid Donald Duck. Oh my God! Why would you? Why would you do that, parents? Parents, why would you do that? Uh, well, you know, and, and there's something else that our listeners can send in to us. Some of the very different names that you've heard people have named their children. If you've heard weird people getting arrested, uh, let us know. By the way, Steve, this is from Kalispell. I'm going to give you four quick hits. Kalispell, Montana, population 23,935. Salute. Salute. All right, four quick hits. This this is the real police blotter from Monday, (laughs) July 16th. At 9.49 a.m., a mom called in complaining that her 16-year-old son wouldn't listen to her. Well, 10.14 a.m., a Big Fork resident received a disturbing letter composed of cut-out letters. That might disturb you. 10.50 a.m., a woman on Batavia Lane who discovered that her son threw a party over the weekend called in with hopes that he might be charged with a delayed minor in possession. There's a parent taking responsibility. Steve, uh, a runaway cow at 12.18 caused a disturbance on Rose Crossing. Did you know that? Uh, I, didn't, I don't think I knew to know that either, but... <laughs> 12.59 a.m., a man on Weishart Road possibly freaked out. That's the whole entry there. And at 1.36 p.m., someone called in with a lot of what-if questions regarding stalking and harassment scenarios. Either they're a victim or they're about to become a suspect. <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> Holy cow. Oh, that's, a, that's a busy blotter right there. That was a busy blotter. Well, hey, I got one more for you, too. What's that? A woman in the 1100 block of Orange Street reported Tuesday that someone kicked in the back door of her house. Uh, you know, we, responding officers, you got back, you know, the day when you were a real cop. You took reports like that. People break in and do stuff. Whoever broke in, though, stole an electric foot spa, a bottle of detergent, of laundry detergent, and a mop bucket. Guess what, Steve? 
The thieves made a clean getaway. Oh. That was in the paper. That's not me. The thiever thieves made a clean getaway. That was them, not me. But on bump, thank you very much. Be here all week. <laughs> And we, we probably ought to do an episode on the weirdest calls we've ever received or the weirdest calls ever made. Steve, this is one. Thursday at 3.20 p.m., a resident who needed help opening a jar called police for assistance. Police opened the jar for the caller. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know what? I mean, this this is a little bit more serious, all these silly calls, but that's why... Police don't know what the hell they're supposed to do nowadays because they're called to take care of everybody's little problems. That's not what law enforcement is about. Now, if you're in a small town, I will tell you, and if you know it's one of your elderly neighbors, you know, most small town cops will go over and do that. Right. Um, but they didn't. if they just would have put in an elderly resident who needed help opening a jar, it wouldn't have been on the show. But they didn't. They said a resident. So maybe you ought to figure out how to open up a jar. Get one of those little jar openers, you know, or get a, get a sledgehammer. You know, there are people out there that just uh, want cops. They're kind of like uniform chasers. They just want cops to come to their house. Yeah. You never know if that's the case or not. You never know. Okay. We won't talk about how you met your wife, Murph. No, that's not it. Believe me. (laughs) (laughs) You you could barely get a date with her. That's your story. She's like, no, I don't like it. What did she say? You were arrogant? Didn't she call you arrogant? Yeah, she does sometimes. (laughs) I don't know where that comes from. Because I'm the best looking guy on this podcast. I mean, what the Oh, uh, yeah. Well, let's end the reading for today. You know, P.A.S. Domine Donaeus Requiem. Let's end this before Murph tells another big fib. Uh, All right. But anyway, hey, we got some good stuff coming up for you. So this one, uh, Murph, um, you got, we've had a couple now, probably two or three episodes now come to us through our uh, familiarization, our familiar agent, Daniel Schmertz over at United Talent Agents. But this one, we almost didn't do. And it's not because the story's not interesting. It's because... We needed a nexus to law enforcement, right? And we found it. Oh, and so yeah. the nexus to law enforcement is actually booking between the, the real fun parts at the beginning and at the end, because this dude was the guy who pulled Saddam Hussein out of his little spider hole. Oh yeah, and this was uh, uh, nothing against Daniel, but it actually got a call from David Buchalter, who's oh, our David. Uh, yeah, sorry, yeah, yeah, well, but UTA Bureau folks, agent, yeah, at United Talent Agency, but. Uh, when you hear this, you know, when he, when he first called me about this, he's telling me, okay, this guy was, he's a former SEAL Team 6 member, and he's also a former um, uh, U.S. Army Delta group. Now, member. special mission unit, Steve, Delta does not exist technically. Yeah, well, yeah. that's what they say, <laughs> although I have a coffee mug that might suggest different. <clears throat> anyway, and I had the same concern. What's the law enforcement con- uh, connection here? And he said, well, he happened to be a, a North Carolina wildlife officer, and that qualifies so, you, and, you know, you never know on these people. So you call and do an initial interview with them. And, and uh, David has sent us some links so we could do some uh, pre-checks on, on our guest today. And I watched two videos and I was hooked. I mean, his it's story is extremely motivational. You talk about a small town boy making the big time headlines. This is the guy, one of the most humble people we've ever had on here. Goes into great detail. One of the longest interviews we've ever done, I believe, if not the long. I think, did he beat Dave Reichert? No, no, but he he came close. I mean, we're we're closing, folks, and this is well. This kind of started a conversation Steve and I are having, but yeah, this is going to be about four hours altogether with the intro and outro, you know, and the stuff. So, um, but let me tell you, we we had gone through the first two hours before we realized we hadn't even finished with his seal experience. I know this. I'm, it's just so interesting, and maybe because we know people that worked with them in the Navy and the SEALs and in the Army and the Delta Group and. Um, 
his his small town attitude I love because we're both small town boys. And same with Javier, he's a small town boy. Um, his humbleness that he doesn't want to take credit for things that he actually did. The the challenges that he went through and overcame, uh, his commitment to his country, his patriotism. Yep. We're today, and we interview a lot of heroes on here. Here's another true hero, Kevin Holland. Got the utmost respect for him. I just I hope I get the opportunity to meet him someday to shake his hand. It's we tell him thank you here on the show, but it's just not enough. So the words thank you just aren't enough for people like this. What he went through and what he's continuing to do. I mean, even though his military career is over and it was it was kind of ended because he was going to tell you what happened to him. I don't want to spoil the story here, but he hasn't let that stop him. Even in retirement from the military, he's continuing to help people around the world. Just this is one of the most motivational stories we've done. I love this story. Anybody who has seven Brahm stars and two with uh, Valor um, has a hell of a story to tell. And so you realize we did a slight bit of a digression there's a little bit of the law enforcement experience sandwiched in between, but what he did really in a sense was law enforcement stuff. I mean, they're out there getting rid of the bad, the worst of the worst, the baddest of the baddest. Um, and Saddam Hussein was definitely one of the worst people ever. The number of people he killed, what he was responsible for doing, it was good that he was caught. And uh, he did that. So he was Navy, uh, went into law enforcement, wanted to get into the Army after 9-11. And they said, you can't do it because you're not in the military. So what did he do? He went down and joined the National Guard. And he says, I'm in the military. Next thing you know. Uh, he's a member of the Special Mission Unit, also known as Delta. But hey, look, we 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 can't even do a story justice. The only way to do a story justice is for me to ask you, Murph, are you ready to play the biggest, baddest, most dangerous game of all? The SEAL-friendly, Delta-friendly, Special Mission Unit, DevGrew, Game of Crimes. Hey, everybody, this truly is what an episode where you need to get in, sit down, shut up, hold on, and pay attention on this one, because this is a hell of a story. So, Kevin, come on on, brother. Tell us about your heroic events. Okay, folks, I got to warn you, not only is this going to be good, this is going to be something we've never quite done before because, you know, Game of Crimes, we focus on the biggest, baddest, most dangerous game of all, the Game of Crimes. We actually, a lot of this has been around criminals, uh, criminal actors, criminal cases, you know, even international things. We kind of have a, I'd say, I'd say we, we have a connection with this one, Murph, I would say, don't you? Oh, he's a hybrid. That's what we'll call him. We'll call him a hybrid. Yeah. Hey, what is that like a redneck and a hillbilly? Well, wait till you, he talks like me. He and I understand each other perfectly. And y'all going to see what I mean here in just a minute. <laughs> well, we'll tell you here in a minute. But first of all, we got to welcome our guest of honor, Master Sergeant Kevin Holland. Welcome, Absolutely. Master Sergeant. Thank you. It's good to be here. Honored to have you on here, Kevin. Thank you very much. Already tell by the accent. Already yep. tell by the accent. Here we go. It's going to be right. fun. <laughs> all right. Hey, well, like we say, this is going to be unique because uh, you were a SEAL, you were Delta. And the the research we did and the research I said, it says the only publicly known person. So that that's always you couch that stuff. But as far as I know, that is still correct, right? You're the only publicly known person that was uh, DevGrew and uh, Delta. Is that correct? Yeah, I don't know who put that out there, but uh, I mean, I, I saw somebody sent that to me and I was like, wow, somebody's done the research. But yeah, it's true. Yeah. Somebody right. named Eric SOF. And I don't know if that's his SOF for what we know it to be or if that's his last name. People put stuff on there. I'm not on any of the social media stuff. So it's just one of those, I guess people do some research and digging and. So I'm on there now. 
I'm You're on there now, pal. <laughs> well, and, and and not that you want to be. We were just talking about some stuff. So we're going to get into some interesting things here because you have a very interesting story. Um, how it ties into this thing of ours called the Game of Crimes. Well, quite frankly, this will touch on Saddam Hussein. Saddam Hussein wasn't just the leader of a country, which by executive order, for you folks keeping score out there, executive order one, two, triple three, were prohibited from conducting political assassinations. However, Saddam Hussein was also the leader of a military, which makes him a military target. So we kind of get out of that political thing. This is why it ties in, because he was one, he was the I would say one of the biggest criminals ever in the Middle East, him and his sons, the stuff they did are crimes, you know, their war crimes, their crimes against humanity and people. And we've got somebody who's got a little bit of experience with that. So we kind of set the stage so people know why we're talking to an operator like Kevin Holland. So Kevin, as we do with everybody, as we call this thing, Cosa Nostra, what Steve, thing of ours. Well, and we also want to bring up the connection to the game of crimes here is between those two adventures he went on. Kevin was a North Carolina wildlife officer. He is in. He was in law enforcement for a year or several months. How long? No, five years. Five years. Yes, so sir. we're not getting away from our theme of crime here, but he's got some fantastic stories that you're going to hear to include the wildlife officer stories. Wildlife. So that's, <laughs> that's a, and you might want to explain, uh, some of our listeners may not understand what DevGrew or SEAL Team is versus Delta well, Force from the Army. We are going to get into that, Murph. Thank you for asking, because that's going to work right into our... Uh, I'd hold you by the hand. Yeah, dude. Thank you so much, man. You, <laughs> I'm here for you. I'm not I'm government. Yeah. I'm here for you. Just for I don't know what I do to deserve this. Yeah, uh, no. So, like, Kevin, as we do with this thing of ours, you know, how did you get started? So what came first, the military or the wildlife? No, I uh, went straight out of high school uh, into the Navy. I, I grew up hunting and fishing in North Carolina, and uh, and I kind of idolized, uh, you know, John Wayne and, you know, just, uh, you know, men back in the day, you know, that they, they do movies on and uh, um, the special operations guys, you know. And, and so I kind of, from an early age, knew that that's what I wanted to do when I uh, – when I got out of school, uh, I played baseball and football in high school and I, and I had a scholarship to play baseball. Uh, and I went and did all the walkthroughs and everything for uh, playing ball, but I had already signed up for the Navy, uh, like in December. Why Navy? So why'd you pick the Navy over the other branches? Well, I went into the recruiters and uh, oh, <laughs> join the Navy, see the world, right? No, not really. I, I, <laughs> I went into the recruiters and I spoke to the, the Army guy and he was kind of busy and he put a VHS tape in and showed me some Ranger stuff and it really wasn't real motivated. And I was kind of uh, a little bit, I don't know, disappointed because, you know, I'd had a poster of the Green Berets, you know, on my wall growing up and this and the other thing. So that's what I really thought about doing. And, uh, and I, that really didn't motivate me much. And I, I went into the, I didn't even, I, I didn't go into the air force, I, I, you know, room. And I just went into the Marines and, and the army and, uh, and the Marine, uh, he was like, uh, well, uh, and I'd mentioned that I'd looked up uh, UDT seal in an encyclopedia cause there was no internet, none of that back then. And it talked about, you know, how tough these guys were and, and so, uh, I mentioned that to the Marine recruiter and he goes, Oh, he goes, well, you'll never make that. He goes, but I can have you in Marine recon in six months, you know? And so, but I went, wait a minute. He's trying I to set that hook, isn't he? I can't <laughs> make be a seal, but in six months I'll be a Marine recon. 
And I'm like, well, okay, so which outfit do I want to be? Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, the one I can be in for sure in six months or the one that you may not make it, you know? So anyway, I, I dismissed the Marines. And then, so I went into the Navy recruiter and I hadn't even spoke to this guy yet. And he had no clue about, uh, the SEALs. And I said, Hey, I'd, I'd like to talk about, Wait a minute. The recruiter had no idea about the SEALs? No. I mean, uh, nobody <laughs> did back in the day. You know, this is 87. You know yeah. what I mean? It's not like uh, now where everybody knows who they are and it's that mm-hmm. and thing. And so that recruiter's like, well, he goes, well, with your G- GT scores and uh, ASVAB scores, you can be a nuke, son. And I'm like, well, what is that? You know, and he goes, well, you know, you it's a 16 week school and you uh, uh, blah, 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 blah. You'll be on a submarine you know, working on nuclear reactors. And I'm like, oh, no. I said, that's not what I'm doing. Wait a minute, how said, tall are you? 5'9". That's oh, why. Okay. <laughs> that's why. So you, he fits, he would fit in a submarine when you hop, you know, when you hot swap the bunks there, you know, you yeah. fit perfectly. Bump your head. Yeah. Uh, so I was like, no, I'm not doing that. I said, I, he goes, well, he goes, I'm going to have to do some research for you <laughs> on this, this really? thing. And so, yeah. <laughs> so I had to go back a few days later and he's like, uh, he had the, there's a dive fair program where you get a shot to try out for it, uh, in boot camp. Uh, and you're, if you make, if you make the, the, the PT test, basically, then, uh, you choose an A school and, uh, which is, uh, your MOS school, basically of what you're going to be doing in the Navy when you quit SEAL training. That's what he told me. Say and, now, hold on. We got a, we got a rule here too. I forgot to tell you, we got, you got to define acronyms. So you said a school and MOS. So let so, the folks know what that is. So the A school is basically a, uh, a school that you have to go to after boot camp that you, uh, it's going to be your occupation in the Navy. So there's like engine mate, there's boatswain's mate, there's, uh, aircraft, whatever maintenance there's. And I, mine was the shortest one I could find was photographer's mate. Cause that's what I asked him. I said, Hey, he, there was a list of schools that you could say, Hey, what is the, uh, the shortest school that I can go to <laughs> to get to seal training? Because in my contract, if I pass that test in boot camp, then I get a shot at going to buds and uh after my a school so that was the deal and so you know once we talked about it and this that and that thing i said well well, do you have any kind of training regiment you know for getting ready you know and he says well he goes i'll tell you he goes uh go out in the woods and cut you a log about 12 13 inches through and then you carry that log uh you know for a couple miles a day you know uh every day you know and I was like, and how, I said, well, how long, you know? And he goes, well, about eight feet, you know? And I said, okay. So I did, I went home, I took a chainsaw, I cut a tree. Now, did you think you were being screwed with though at that point? No. I Go mean, I, you know, he done, he just, he came <laughs> back from doing research and, and all this stuff and, and had all this stuff laid out. I mean, he had the, the second time I went in, it was pretty professional. And, uh, so I'm like, all right, you know, so I'll go home and I, I take a draw knife and it's a sourwood tree. So I draw knife this tree off all the bark and it's all slick and nice, you know, and I let it dry. And, uh, and then man, every day after football or baseball practice, I'd go up and down the road with this log right here where I'm from. Now, did your neighbors <laughs> think you were a bit touched or something was wrong with the young lad? Absolutely. So <laughs> one, of the, one of my neighbors is he's like, whatever, carrying hay to his cows and he's got a front end loader of his tractor. And so he's driving by me one day and, and he stops and he goes, Hey, he goes, throw that thing in here, you know, <laughs> you know? And I'm like, no, I said, I'm, I, I just said, because he would have no idea what what the seals are. I said, I'm just, I'm, I'm one of the Marines. I'm training to 
for boot camp or whatever, you know, and he's like, oh, okay, you know, guy shook his head and drove off. Where was your recruiter located at there in North Carolina? In uh, uh, North Wilkesboro, North Carolina. Okay. All right. Yeah. Just curious. Yeah. <laughs> that he yep. didn't know what the seals were. <laughs> well, I mean, he knew, but he knew nothing about them. I mean, you know, because he was, you know, I mean, most uh, regular Navy guys, they don't know, you know, I mean, it's just one of those things. That it's like, so in the day then, if you didn't know, how would you find out about it then? How, how would they get guys to join SEALs? I guess, I don't know, word of mouth, uh, just watching movies and, hey, you know, people, uh, like I said, I looked it up in the encyclopedia. We had actually yeah. encyclopedias back then. And uh, and I saw something, uh, there was a, a show back uh, in the 80s called PM Magazine. Yeah. And they had a, a, just a short clip of uh, people being tortured. And I was like, whoa. And so I, I had, we had two channels at my house two and 12. And so I was on whatever channel it was too, I guess. And, and it was grainy and it just showed these guys like, you know, uh, crawling through the sand and in the water and this, that, and everything. And I don't know why it appealed to me, but I was like, well, that looks pretty tough, you know? And that's why I was like, okay, let me ask about the seals. So, hmm. so um, you bypassed, see here, you're a master sergeant. You're used to giving orders, just not taking them. You have to define MOS. Okay. So, well, that's your, uh, buds. your, your, okay. So military, uh, specialty is that's the A school in the army. So basically your A school is the, the Navy version, MOS, your military specialty is, uh, the army version. And so, uh, do you want me to get into? Well, no, we'll, we okay. actually, you know, we can, we can dive into that. Cause you also said buds too. A, a lot of people become experts. Uh, I, I watched Don Shipley's uh, videos all the time where he goes out and he busts all the fake seals that say they were in this buds class. And amazingly, a lot of people were in the same buds class that was featured on the television documentary talking about, I think it was buds 213 or something. So what's buds? It's basic underwater demolition seal training. Uh, it's, uh, that's the, the, the SEALs basic training, basically. So once you got done with your A school, and if you pass that test in boot camp, the swim, the run, the pull-ups, push-ups, then you got a shot. They'd send you to BUDS and uh, you got a shot at, uh, you know, one shot and making it, you know, through SEAL training. So, so how, let's, how long is that training? It's, uh, depends on when you get there. I got there right after a class had classed up and a class classes up every six weeks. And so I had an extra six weeks of training there. Uh, and then your, the class is about, it's about six months is once it starts up. So I had about seven and a half months of, uh, extra. Yeah. Let's talk about getting, yeah. Let's talk about getting into that though. So you go, you go through the obviously very tough and extensive photographers mate schools. So. Mm. <laughs> this is back when we we're developing film in a canister yeah. uh, and uh, doing it on a machine and then burning the pictures. And I mean, it was very interesting. Don't get me wrong. And it was in Pensacola, Florida. So very nice area. Uh, I'm 18 years old. And I mean, so, you know, I mean, it wasn't that bad and it was short, 10 weeks. You know, so I could see light at the end of the tunnel, you know. Hey, Murphy, so you know who this sounds like? Who? Guy Knopfsinger. Yeah. Yeah, he was That's one intel. of our other guests. He, he actually ended up, uh, I think, retiring out of the reserves as a 05, I think it was. But uh, he, he started off life as a photographer's mate. No way. Well, and you felt, Kevin, you saw that light at the end of the tunnel, and you figured it wasn't a train this time, right? Yeah. <laughs> no, I was like, all right, I, I can, you know, I mean, because some of them got stuck with like gunners mate six months. Oh, oh yeah. Six really? months of a school. And now you go to seal training. So man, just a wasted 
six mm-hmm. months because you're not going to be doing this because I wasn't planning on not making it. I mean, I had no plan B. It was like, no, it's not a. See, and I learned that from a buddy of mine who was actually on a SEAL team. He said, I stabbed the lifeboat. And Absolutely. I said, there, there you go, Steamer. There is no going back. There is no plan B. There's only one plan. It's death it. or I make it. I mean, <laughs> yeah. that was pretty much it. I mean, I'm well, let's, not ta- let's talk about that then. So you get out of your photographer's mate school in Pensacola. Where do you go to take the uh, PT test? Well, the, the PT test was in a boot camp, actually, Navy boot camp. I went to Orlando to Navy boot camp. There's no Navy base there anymore. But when I was, you know, went in, that was there in Great Lakes was where you went to uh, Navy boot camp. And so I went to Orlando and I don't know, probably halfway through, they're like, okay, all the guys signed up for dive fair. That was the name of the program. Get your swimming trunks and your towel and your t-shirt and we're headed to the gym, you know? And so that then it was just a, a, a seal was there that was the motivator. He's like, okay, so first evolutions, a swim, you know, and you got a, a back then it was a 300 yard swim. You had a breaststroke or side stroke, one of the two. And I knew what how to the, do. Do really you remember what either. the time limit was on that? Or was it just a matter of completing it or did I, you no, have to No, no, it's seven minutes or something. I mean, okay. it wasn't like a – it ain't It wasn't Olympic. a relaxing, yeah. No, it wasn't fun at all because I'm from the mountains of North Carolina. And – uh, I can swim across a creek, but as far as uh, <laughs> like being an Olympic swimmer, I'm far from it. And so I, I'm actually in high school, my buddy, they had a swimming pool behind their house. They live in town. I live out in the middle of nowhere. And Andy's his name. And I was like, Andy, I said, you think I can come over to your house? Because it says I got to do breaststroke or side stroke for this swimming test, you know. And so I go over there and swim his I don't know, 10 yard swimming pool back and forth, you know, and, and try to figure out how to do this. So that's the only real swimming I did before I went to boot camp. Hey, um, just out of curiosity, did you ever find out later? I know you didn't know at the time, but did you ever find out later why it was the breaststroke or the side stroke? Was that designed to test muscles or, or was that just their way of doing it? Why, you know, not like the regular crawl, like the overhand crawl, you know, where you swim? Well, because you don't swim that way. Uh, it, like if you're swimming into the beach uh, to do a mission, you're not going to crawl because it's too much uh, movement and noise and everything. So you breaststroke because you can stay under the water or you side stroke and you can also stay under the water and you can go forever doing a side stroke. You can swim for miles and miles uh, and you switch to breaststroke and, you know, and so, but yeah, that's why it's, it's, there's no crawl. So, so you do the swim first, uh, you said swim, run, pull-ups, push-ups, what else? That was it. So, I mean, it was, a a, back then it's, it's worse now actually. Uh, but it's a, I think it was a mile and a half run after the swim. And then you got to do, I think 12 pull-ups and then, uh, I can't remember how many push-ups, but it was, it was over like 60, so, I mean, it was, it was a, I mean, it wasn't a super hard test, but after swimming and running and all that, you know, it was, well, it the was pull ups too. I mean, those are like, those are dead hang. You got to start dead hang. dead hang and pull yeah. up. Right. So basically the army PT, they took all that out of the army PT test. So everybody can pass. <laughs> there you go, Morgan. The soft bigotry of low expectations. I think <laughs> somebody said that one time. Hey, so. And so there's a time limit for each one, but then there's also an overall time limit to get all of them done within a certain time, right? Well, you just move from one event to the other. And I mean, you know, you have a, a time limit for the run, you have a time limit for the swim, and, and, and okay. they give you time to move in between each event, you know. And okay. So, and if you pass, hey, you get your orders uh, for straight out of A school, you know, to go try buds. 
So how many people did dive fair with you? Um, there were two guys in my boot camp that were on the same program. Um, so there was just three of you then? There were three. Yeah, but the three of us that went and took the, the test, I think. And, and, and there were other guys from other right. uh, uh, companies, you know, that were going through boot camp, and they came from their companies, but three guys in my company, which was about 150 guys or something. So, but yeah, but but everybody who was there for that uh, dive fair test that day, how many people do you think were there? I would say probably 20. How many passed? they don't tell us, you know what I'm saying? And so, I mean, we just, Hey, I knew, I knew the times and I knew, uh, they didn't even tell me, you know, they just said, Hey, you know, I knew I'd passed. And so, uh, they said, okay. And then took your name and did everything else. And then I received my orders, uh, right when I was getting ready to graduate from photo school to buds. So cool. Well, that had to make you feel good, right? Um, what about your other two buddies that were there with you? Did they make it? Uh, one of them eventually did, uh, he, uh, he was hurt in, in buds and, uh, I think it took him about six classes to get through, but he eventually, cause I mean, if you get hurt, like legitimately break your leg or something like that, they will keep you around to let you heal up and try it again or, you know, to start over. And, uh, so he got hurt like right, probably during hell week or something, and uh, I think he broke his leg or something. And then about six, he healed up and he ended up making it through, but just one guy. So, Dang. Well, well we're going to talk about your buds class too, because talk about attrition. Um, but, but let's talk about it. So what was it like you're graduating and you get your orders? I mean, um, was that, did you go, oh, great. <laughs> you know, or did you go, oh shit, what, what have I gotten myself into? No, I was training uh, the whole time I was uh, in photo school, we would do their little PT physical training. And then in the evenings, I'd go do my own, you know, runs and, you know, where I could swim. I'd try to get in the pool and, you know, this, that, and the other thing. But it was, it was, uh, my own, you know, I, all I knew to do is, you know, was run and push ups and sit ups and swim a little bit, you know, so. Right. So you get your orders. Um, where do you go? Uh, well, you go to Coronado, California. That's where that you is- go. A friend of mine retired as the chief of police there. He was a d- assistant chief at San Diego. His retirement job was chief on Coronado Island. Oh, it's a beautiful place. <laughs> Rough work too, but the knife. But that's the thing. I I don't know if they change it. But there's like only one way into Coronado and one way off. You know that big bridge that goes across. Yep, yep. Hey, Coronado you, Bridge. Before you joined the military, had you been? Have you traveled much outside of North Carolina before that? Uh, no, I, I'd been to uh, Florida to the beach because most people from Appalachia go down to like Panama City or mm-hmm. whatever if they're going to go to the beach, and that was pretty much it. So that's that's kind of cool because you I mean you're getting to see all of the United States just by going through the training. Yeah, absolutely. So what was it like though? You you show up in California. I mean, you'd obviously heard about it, but what what was it like getting out there that first time and realizing? I mean, you get out there and you probably got just a little time right before uh, Hell Week starts, right? Oh, well, I had I got there right after, after you the, six weeks, six yeah. weeks. But what's terrible is this doesn't count toward <laughs> the, the SEAL training. It's just extra. So it's called pre-training. So every morning at four in the morning, you get up and you go swim for two hours in the swimming pool. And it's I mean, it's October uh, when I get there and people think California is all sunny and warm. Not at four in the morning. And 
they 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 put you in these like it's a cattle shower uh like what they run cows through this is back then i don't know what they've got now but they had all these nozzles on these pipes and it was like uh probably 30 feet by 20 feet and they'd pack as many of you in this thing as possible and then they'd turn this cold water on and just shower you with this cold water for like 30 seconds you know to shower you off to get into the swimming pool but not only that but then you would go get on the bleachers and then one of the instructors would have a water hose on the cold you know and just spray in the face and just you know just it was just it was it was super cold you couldn't wait to get in the water and there was a reason for that because it, it that, that water was super warm when you got in it you're just like oh my gosh i can't wait to get in that swimming pool well, see and that's that's what i was going to ask you about too because um that's kind of the psychological thing because the water's going to be cold and everything but you cannot have that flinch look i gotta tell you i'm at my age now i'm a wuss we'll go on vacation or go somewhere even in cancun i'm like i gotta wade into that thing it's like oh you know it's still but you gotta. But you guys have to be able to dive in and not even think about it. It's just get in, um, you know. And and the, from a psychological standpoint, you can't be thinking about the cold or the shivering or anything else. It's like it's just another place you go, right? Well, it's just it's them getting you used to being miserable. I mean, because who, <laughs> which of us have, in high school and all that? When have you been miserable? Actually, you know, I mean, unless you're like from Alaska and you're you you grew up packing doll sheep out or something or moose you know you're really not you, you don't really understand uh because combat's miserable a lot of a lot of it's just misery and so and and so they they're they're prepping you from the very moment you get there to be miserable <laughs> and to be able to take it and right. so that's the whole point you know that's so, the endurance and the stamina that's endurance and stamina yeah yeah brother. and and the mindset the mind, that's the key thing right there too. Cause you, you've got to, that's one thing I've always been impressed with talking to folks, you know, in the different branches, but when you get to that elite level and, and all of them like pararescue, um, uh, Delta, you know, uh, seals, um, <clears throat> force recon or whatever, but you got to get to, it, I think the, you can be physically the same, but it's that mindset that's going to differentiate a lot of people from the ones who make it versus the ones that don't. Yeah. It's, I mean, you can be the biggest, uh, stud out there swimmer runner athlete whatever if you don't have it in your mind and actually there was a few in my class that were way faster and way could swim faster and this that, and the other thing and you're just like man i wish i was six four and 240 you know <laughs> you know but they end up quitting you know and so it's just like it's all in your mind hey yeah but but you bring up another thing though too you said you're five nine a lot of people think that a, a lot of these folks on special forces are like these hulking six two six three offensive kind of you know big tall linemen, and that's that's really not the truth. In fact, sometimes size is actually a detriment, isn't it? Yeah, it really is because it takes a lot of fuel for that guy. You know, I mean, uh, it's it's a little guy. He can go on nothing, you know, and go and go and go. And I mean, I have been in situations where uh, it's one hundred and thirty degrees in combat and you know you've got to get stuff done and then like a lot of the big guys would i mean nothing against them but would lock up and go down you know because they got to have so much food and so much water and this that and the other thing whereas little guys i mean you you know it doesn't take a whole lot you know and so i uh, you know i don't know uh, I, I read uh in the manual one time the optimal seal size is about five eight 160 pounds wow. so i mean you know, hey, let me know. tell you, the worst butt kicking I ever got was from a guy a lot smaller than me. Yeah. You know, it's it's not the size of the package. That's true. I, so when you ask about when I first showed up there, 
So they give you these greens. Back then, it was uh, they gave you CB, uh, uh, I guess, a uniform, a CB uniform, and it's just green. There's no camo. It's uh, you're not worthy to wear camo yet. So it's just a CB's green clothes. You know, uh, uh, there's no like cargo pockets. It's just a you know, and uh, so they give you about six pairs of these things, and you got to get the name tags sewn on your name. You know, on the pocket and on the uh, the pocket of the uh, pants and on the back. And so I'm like, well, where do you get this done? And they're like, well, it's a place called AB Brights you know, and it's just down the road, you know, uh, uh, and it's Imperial beach, you know? And I was like, okay. I said, well, so I said, is, is, there's like, no, it's just right down the road here. You know, <laughs> right down the road. I see something coming. <laughs> yeah. So I'm like, well, right okay. down the road is relative. How far was down the road? 12 miles. So <laughs> I had all my, I had, I didn't have a bag. I had these greens and I had them in my arms. And so the beach you go straight down the beach. They said, yeah. I said, was it it's just straight down and the road parallels the beach. So I'm like, well, I'll just walk, you know I mean? It ain't, it ain't that they said it's right down the road. Well, in a car, it's right down the road. So I walked 12 miles. I mean, after, you know, eight miles, I'm like, holy smokes, this isn't right down the road. So I get to AB Brights and, uh, and I, and I turn all these, uh, greens in to get my name tapes and this, that, and the other thing. And they take them all. And there's a taco stand there and it's five roll tacos for a dollar. And man, I ate like 20 tacos and, uh, and then, and then walk back to buds <laughs> 12 miles. Oh, geez. Yeah. All in one day. Yeah, All in one day. I get back and the guy that told me that, uh, he's like, I'm like, bro. I said, that wasn't just right down the road. I said, he goes, well, he said, you walked? I said, yeah. I said, you said it's right down the road. He's, they all laughed, and it was a big joke. And then I got a ride to pick them up, though, the next time. So. Darn right. <laughs> <laughs> Holy cow. Oh, Talk yeah. about an extra, extra inning workout there. Holy yeah, cow. Yeah, see, I'm, I'm always concerned when somebody goes, yeah, it's just right around, around the corner. Well, that's relative, you know. Yeah. What, is that, what does that really mean? So you get these things on. So what's that six weeks like? I mean, is it just basically repetitive? It's the same stuff every day. Are you doing anything in addition to just the physical training? Are they doing any pre-coursework or are you just there to stay in shape, getting ready for your class? Yeah, it's, it's all brutal training. I mean, it's, you're running the O course, you're doing, you're swimming every morning. Uh, I mean, not on the weekends. I mean, you do, if you want to do stuff on the weekends, you can, but, uh, so it's just every day during the week, uh, your day begins at 4 a.m. at the swimming pool. And I mean, you're at the swimming pool at 4, not, and you got to run for, for a mile to get to the swimming pool where you're at on the base, you know. And so you form up in a group of pre trainees. You got white t shirts because before Hell Week, you wear white t shirts. And then so you run to the pool, you swim, and then you run back. And then your next evolution is whatever, probably four mile run on the beach. Uh, and then after lunch, you do the obstacle course. And then, so, but every day begins with that swim. So. Mm -hmm. Well, that's the first letter in seals, right? C. So yeah, they, yeah, you're going to be able to swim when you get out of that place. So, so how many were in your pre-training, uh, class? Wait a minute. I got, I got to correct something. <laughs> yeah. Our listeners are going to hear you. First letter in seals is C. Now there, it's an S that represents the word C. 
No, the first just, so the Morgan first really can't. Can, he can spell. He doesn't think seal starts with a C. Just want to clarify that. Too. Well, I thought he meant C like uh, S E A C. Yeah, yeah, C. That's yeah, what he C. Steve understands. See, Steve, he, he understands. He but gets that's it. what it, that's what S stands for. C. But so yeah. I thought that's what he meant. But yeah, I'm hope I was hoping he didn't mean C. Airland and who knows? Pretty close. Pretty soon it'll be space. Sea air land and space. Seals in space. I can see that's going to be a new adventure series. He's from Kansas. I just got to make sure. You know, we're looking out for him. Hold his hand. Yeah, but 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 the but anyway, we're talking about how many people were in your pre-training class. I would say probably forty. Now, it, but the, the but the people who are in your pre-training class. Will they become part of your buds class, or is everybody uh, the, ever the, when you say they class up, it's like who's ever there when the next class starts? That's everybody who's in the class, right? Yep. So all the pre-trainees, all the guys that got there right after that class, uh, class one fifty nine, had classed up. Uh, we're all standing out in the, they call it the grinder. It's where these little footprints are. These little, uh, uh, they look like fins, little, like at attention, you know, little footprints and you stand on those little, little footprints, these little fins. And so really our pre-training class, the first day we're standing out there, you're in civilian clothes because you haven't got your greens yet. And there was a guy standing in front of me. And I, I mean, you know, I don't know. I mean, male cheerleaders are strong and, you know, pretty beefy guys, you know, well, this guy's in front of me and he's standing there and he's got a male cheerleader jacket on the back of it says male cheerleader. And I mean, you know, I don't know. I'm just kind of like, Hmm, this is 1988, you know, or 87, I guess at the time. No, it's 88. Yeah. And, uh, and I'm like, Hey man, I said, uh, you might want to lose that jacket before they come out here, you know? And he's like, what? I'm like, well, I mean, I don't know you know, male cheerleader, you know, and, and he's like, well, and he told me all about his experience as a male cheerleader and, you know, and, and he was real proud of it, you know, and I'm like, yeah, I know, man, I got, I got no issues with it, but you don't know what's coming out of that door, you know, and it was, you know, basically you're in an arena and you're surrounded, there's these doors up here and these instructors come out and they come out howling at us and yelling. And I mean, it's not fun, you know, so they run around and they're, they're in front of me and then they, they turn and they see this guy's jacket, you know, and I'm just like, <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> so they're just like, male cheerleader, you know. <laughs> and I mean, it that guy is tortured relentlessly from the, the second they saw that until I never saw him again. So, oh. I mean, yeah, that was your initiation basically into. How long did he last? I never saw him again. I mean, oh, you I mean saw him out for that first day. <laughs> saw him out processing. That was pretty much it, you know. So wow, never and even. You... Ma- I mean, we lost people all through pre-training. It wasn't like that was the first one we lost, but uh, it was all through pre-training. You lose people because it's miserable. It's just as miserable as buds, you know, because you're you're doing the same stuff, you know. So I oh. tried to help the guy out, you know. I did. I mean, I was looking out for the guy. I'm like, hey, it's my teammate here, you know. I'm just going to be like, hey, dude, I mean, I got it, you know. Uh, just just get rid of that, you know. I mean, it's already – we already got a bullseye on us. And, man, yeah, you got Career double. advice, dude. You, don't make yourself a bigger target than oh. we already are. You yeah. want to you want to be the gray man and not the one in the movie just now. You want to be the, the guy that they don't really even remember, you well, know. You, and you've had – playing sports in high school, the, the football and the baseball, you've had teamwork ingrained in you. So it's it's all about the – that's the same thing. Well, it's not the same thing. Funny you went. mentioned Green Man. We'll have to talk about that later. I read all of Mark Greeny's novels. Um, just finished it up. And we'll talk later, too, about whether or not that's 
I saw the Netflix one or I've started seeing most of it. So we'll have to talk later about uh, what you think of that. Um, but now, hey, the other thing, though, too, that's infamous in Buds is the bell. Tell us about the bell. So the bell, uh, they don't even bother to bring it out for pre-trainees. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so basically, you're pre-training. You gotta if you want to quit, you gotta like go to the place that's there's there's a portable bell and there's the bell right in front of the, the instructor's office there. And so if you want to quit as a pre-trainee, you gotta go to the instructor's door, beat on the door, and be like, "Hey, I'm ready to quit." And so you can ring the bell right there, but they have a portable one that they bring with them everywhere you go when you're, uh, when you want you class up and the bell is, uh, if you ring it three times, that means you, you voluntarily, you quit basically. And then you put your helmet down on the ground and, uh, and then you're out processed. What, so. what is the, what is the, uh, thinking behind having that bell? I mean, it's almost like I don't want to say like, you're not really rubbing somebody's face in it, but it's kind of like, but at that point, everybody knows you're quitting. Is it kind of, is it kind of mentally to say, look, don't be the guy who rings the bell. Don't quit. Cause it's almost, I don't want to say it's the walk of shame, but it's almost, you know, you've done all of the stuff and you got to go ring that bell. And then at, at that point, everybody knows. I'll put it this way. When those people were to that point, they didn't care what they had to do to get out of that place. Cause I mean, you know, it was just, that wasn't in their head. They, they had a plan B. I'll put it that way. Their plan B they're, they're when you're laying there freezing and, uh, and thinking about, man, I, you know, I really don't have to be doing this. I, I I've got a good job at my whatever that I'm, I'm, I could go and be a boatswain's mate. I like boatswain's mate. I like tying knots and you know, whatever it is, you know, their plan B they had thought about. Or, you know, I'm missing my kids' birthdays and this and that and the other thing, and I don't have to be doing this. And and if you go in there with that mindset, you're not going to make it. You have to go in there and go, hey, I am going to drown, freeze to death, whatever it is. It doesn't matter what you do to me. You're going to have to kill me. And that's how you got to go into that. You go in there like that, and they can't beat you down. I mean, it's just, hey, uh, you may get hurt or something and not make it, but you have to have that type of attitude. And so the bell, I mean, I never even thought about it. I don't even remember seeing it that much, you know, because I wasn't going to look at that thing, you know. And so uh, when people would, they would run to that bell. They were so ready to get out of that place. Wow. Hey, where did, where did this look? It takes a mindset to do this. Where did your mindset come from? I mean, because look, yeah, yeah, you're in North Carolina, but you know, you're growing up, you're, you're hunting and fishing and stuff, but you're, you're still not facing the type of danger you're going to face later in your career to have to need that mindset. But wh where do you think part of this mindset came from? You're like we said, it's either death or uh, success. There's no in between. Yeah. Uh, so my grandfather was with Teddy Roosevelt at San Juan Hill. He's a rough rider. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, uh, so I, I can only assume that, uh, you know, I don't know. Cause my, I had a couple of uncles that were in the military, but my dad was the youngest of four brothers during Vietnam. And it was that whole, we don't want to send all the brothers, you know, because of the world war two, you know, brothers that died. And so my dad wasn't in the military and I only assume that it came from my grandfather, you know, and, and plus, I mean, we're, I'm Scotch Irish and, uh, and like the Vikings raided Scotland. And, and so my, my mother's name's McNeil. And so a lot of the McNeils in Scotland have, there, there are a lot of Viking blood in them. And so on their flag is a Viking ship. The McNeil banner is a Viking ship, you know? And so 
I don't know. I mean, the only thing I can think of is I'm in a line of those guys, you know, that's like, hey, this is what I want to do. And that's that's my career path. And I think, honestly, I think God gives people different talents for doing different things, you know, and because people go, man, how can you how can you, you know, shoot people, you know, and I'm like, well, how can you bake bread or how can you. Uh, uh, be a farmer and and do whatever you know. Be an electrician. How could you bring yourself down to be a trooper? Well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> oh, hey, hold, oh, sorry, hold on. Hold on. <laughs> you, I was trying to be right. respectful, Murph. But okay, we'll 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 uh, we'll get there too. So, but right. hey, but no, the one the the one story I remember a few stories about Teddy Roosevelt. But that dude was so tough. He was actually shot, I believe, uh, in the chest or something. Still got up and gave a speech. You know, and did that, but he get the, the the man in the arena. One of the most famous mm-hmm. uh, speeches that he gave, and it's like you know, you, you got because you got to be that man in the arena. You got to be that guy or girl in the arena, the one who does it. Yeah, I mean that's it. That's it. You can talk about everything else, but it's the even if the man fails, he was in the arena. You know, I mean that's it. You know, I mean I have no problem with people that you know. I have more respect for somebody that goes, yeah, I went to buds and I didn't make it, than somebody that tries to, I don't know. Put on themselves the, up more than what they are. Well, yeah, you know, it's just like, look, yeah, I got hurt. Hey, okay, well, that's you know, it is what it is. But rarely will you hear anybody say, "No, I quit." You know, it's always I got hurt, or you know, it's just one of those. I would be checking people as a game warden, you know, and and they'd be like, uh, <clears throat> you know, I'd say I was in the navy. I didn't say I was a seal, you know, and they'd be like, "Yeah, I, I was in the navy. I was, you know, I was a seal." And I'm like, "Oh, you know," and and be like. Well, Really? What what buds class were you in? And and then they're like, oh no, you know, and and then well, seven. I was in seven. No, it'd be like fifty three twenty six or something, you know, some weird number, you know. And you're like, oh okay. Well, there's only been like two hundred. So what, what? They're like, well, I it's actually, classified. I it's yeah, classified. It's above your pay grade, or whatever, you know. And I'm just like, well, I, I don't know. Uh, I've never heard of that class number. And and well, actually, I was hurt and whatever and yeah just some excuse and so but i always appreciate people that go yeah yeah man i just i I was about to freeze to death and i I quit (laughs) it's like yeah it was cold so i got it i'll tell you who used to live not too far from me had the chance to meet him a couple times was richard marcinko yep and uh that was one of the great stories because i asked him i heard about it so i had the chance to talk with him i asked him i said you know, there were only three SEAL teams, and you create this other one called SEAL Team 6. He says, why'd you call it SEAL Team 6 when there was no 4 and 5? He said, because I wanted the bastards to wonder where SEAL Teams 4 and 5 were, <laughs> even though they didn't exist, you know? <laughs> so, I mean, if, but it, again, it goes back to that mindset. So um, let's kind of go back to Bud's a little bit, too, because this is interesting. We, It's a very similar interview we're having with you that we have with other people because they talk about going through their academy or the things that they do. And this is very similar to you. I mean, you have to put in the time and the work before you get the chance to go off and do the fun stuff. You know, quote, I put air quotes uh, around fun stuff. But um, so you're in this, uh, you're you're in your pre-training and everything. Did you ever think it was going to end? I mean, you feel it's almost like Dante's Inferno. You're in the, you're in purgatory. You know, you're not going anywhere. No, I'll be honest with you. I just, uh, I was there for that. I mean, I, I knew what it was going to be. I didn't know, you know, I didn't know exactly, uh, but it was everything that I thought it would be. It was, uh, you know, you're just like, well, I mean, I asked to be here. It's not like I was told to come here. And so uh, I never, I, I don't think I ever once went, 
you know, man, you know, this is, this is taking forever. This, there was a process to it. And the process was these guys are trying to get you ready to class up. And, uh, uh it, it sucks getting up at four or three thirty in the morning and running over here and doing all this stuff. But the way I looked at it is like, Hey, I'll be ready whenever our class classes up. And we had the date when we were classing up. So it wasn't like it was uh, a surprise. It was like, Hey, I mean, it was very uh, structured and, and how it was going to happen. So, uh, you know, I don't know. Tell us about your last weekend of freedom before buds hits. Well, you have a big class up party and everybody gets mohawks and, uh, you know, because then you got to shave it all off, you know, because when you class up, all the hair's gone. And, uh, so yeah, we had a big party and right there in the compound and, uh, 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 just got ready to roll, you know? So, well, let's, let's talk about the, let's talk about then the first day. So you go to bed in a sense the night before what just kind of walk us through what happens now. What's well, really not very uh, different than the pre-training. I mean, hey, they have on the schedule you're going to be so and so. You're going to probably a, a room inspection to start it off, and that means you're getting wet and sandy. And because you're never rooms never good enough. Never ever. <laughs> they'll they'll reach in their pants, pull out some hairs, and throw them in your sink. And uh, I mean that happened at our class. Well, and, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Uh, we got a visual curly? on that. Let's just leave it at that. <laughs> they were curly. Really, oh, they were my curly. God. And, and the guy they did it to, he, he actually ended up retiring and, and being a U.S. Marshal. And uh, uh, he, the guy said, what is this in this sink? You know, and he looks into the sink and he leans over and he poof, and blows them out. And he goes, what? <laughs> <laughs> So, how did how did that go over with the instructor? Did he say you got me, or did he did he nope. guy, did he pay for it? He pointed at the ocean and said, "Hit the surf." <laughs> so that means you go hit the surf, you go dive in the ocean, you get out and you roll in the in the like sand and make yourself a sugar cookie is what it's called, and you come back and you better be a good sugar cookie or they'll send you back, you know. And so you got to be covered all over in sand and and just looking miserable, and then you pass, okay, and then now you start your day. Yeah, you're not, you don't change. Uh, you, 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 you start your day, which is, Hey, your pool evolution, you're going to do, uh, not tying at the pool or whatever. And then, you know, for the first two or three days, and then your test is on the fourth day and then your underwater swim, you know, you're practicing to do that. So, I mean, that's what you're, uh, probably for, that's the second week, actually the first week you probably go run an O course and do a four mile time run your first day. So, but, but you call it hell week. So tell us about hell week. You know, what's the, uh, I'm assuming that's the first week, right? That you get in and they, they start off or wh when does hell, when is hell week? No, no, you've lost probably uh, a third of the class before hell week even starts because hell week's the sixth week. Oh, it is. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, so you've done all your knot time where you got it, you're in a tower and you dive down about 30 feet and you're tying knots on a rope and, and showing them to the instructor. And then you either pass or you fail. You got to tie five knots. You got to do a 50 meter under underwater swim. Um, uh, and you got to pass so many time runs, so many O courses and this, that, and the other thing, so many ocean swims before hell week. So you've lost a third of the class before hell week even starts. So is this all pass fail? In other words, like if you're down there not tying and you don't tie the knots, do you fail right then? You fail. Yeah. And if, so if you fail, you're out. Well, they'll, they'll probably go, Hey, pull your head out of your butt. And, uh, uh, 
get back down there. So if a guy can do it, then they, okay, they'll let him do it. But it's that day. So 50 meter underwater swim, if you don't do it, they, you pass out, you fail automatically. And I mean, a lot of people would just kind of be going along and then they just kind of slow down in the, in the pool and they pull them out and that's it. You fail. And then, uh, they tie your hands behind your back, tie your feet up, chuck you in the swimming pool with about 50 other people. And I mean, you know, it's like a shark tank. I mean, you know, people are thrashing and trying to just live. And, uh, you is gotta, that just survival swimming at that point is what it, you're doing? Well, it's called drown proofing is right. what it okay. is, you know, because I, I, we always heard it was some guy in Vietnam. He, uh, was tied up and he had the only way he could get away from the Viet Cong was to swim across the river with his hands and feet tied up. And so that, I mean, whether that's true or not, I can't say, but that's what we heard. And so that's why they, at least, uh, it made us feel better about having to having to do this. We're like, well, we might get tied up, thrown in a river. So, uh, so yeah, the worst part was because there was fifty of you in this swimming pool, you know. And I mean, you're you got to stay in the deep end because if you touch the bottom, you fail. So you're trying to just you know get a breath, you know, and 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 live. So you got to like do this for uh, probably ten fifteen minutes without touching the bottom with all your hands and feet tied and, and people kicking you in the face and you just about to be about to get a breath and somebody kicks you and knocks you back under the water. And now you got to try to get back to the surface. So it's a, all that is before hell week. And then Damn. you get done with the, the 15 minutes or 10, 15 minutes of having to fight for air. Now you got to swim the length of the pool and back without touching the bottom. And then when you get back, you've got to like dive down with, and, and get a mask off the bottom of the swimming pool with your teeth, bring it to the surface and show it to an instructor. And they have to point to you and give you a thumbs up for you. And you come. folks can't see this. He looks, oh. <laughs> he's, Kevin's doing this right now. And you can see, he looks like almost like a seal, a train. I mean, the animal kind got, I got it in my mouth. Can I get a fish now? It's almost like, here you go. That's exactly what it is. <laughs> and, and a lot of times they'll, they'll not look at you on purpose. So now you got to like <laughs> go back underwater because you you fought to get above the water to show them this mask. And now you just slowly sink back under and, oh, you know, and then you, you got to fight back up. And sometimes you got to spit that mask out and get some air and then you got to dive back down and get the mask. Because sometimes it took, you know, 20 minutes to get them to see you with this mask in your mouth. How deep is the pool? Uh, 12 feet, I think. I mean, it was, it's probably deeper now, but uh, back then it was an outdoor pool. It was right by the mm -hmm. cattle showers that I was telling you about. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is the place where this happened at. and this is in the winter. So it's cold too, you know, so, you know, you're just waiting, uh, you know, cause they'll kick a bunch of us in, uh, your, your, your buddy ties you up and this, and you're sitting on the side of the pool and the instructors come along, just kick you in the back, kick you into the swimming pool. Now you can't touch your bottom. I mean, it's just that whole evolution starts. So from beginning to end, you're probably in the pool for a good hour, you know, with all this tied up and this, that, and the other thing. And you absolutely fail if you touch your bottom. So, How, so with the, the people that are failing at this and they're passing out and sinking to the bottom, who's going in to get them? The instructors. There's instructors in the swimming pool uh, and, and nice enough to splash water in your face and stuff when you're about to get a breath of air and, uh, and recovering bodies off the bottom, you know, oh pretty gosh. much. Pulling you to the surface, they get you to the side, pump you out spew water and not that anybody's drowned I, I, I don't know the the definition of drown is if it's just inhaling water or what but I, I did see some on the side when i was like 
getting a breath and they're all pumping, getting pumped out. So, uh, it was not a fun evolution. And like I said, this is all before hell week. Hey, in my, in my wimpish life, that qualifies as drowning. Okay. (laughs) So, (laughs) but you just have to go to another place. You've got to go to your happy place, like happy Gilmore. Uh, you know, uh, it's, you really do have to just go somewhere else because you're basically in hell when you're, when you're, kicking each other and fighting and clawing just to get a breath of air. So, mm-hmm. And I, now, does the firearms training start uh, at the same time, at a different time? So when do they start, when do you start getting the pew-pews? So that's at right after Hell Week is second phase. And that's, the, and I think it's changed now. It's probably third phase for that stuff. Uh, but uh, when I was in, it was second phase. And then you go to, you you load up and you go to uh, a place called La Posta. Uh, it's a, outside of san diego it's this uh, i think it's a national forest out there and there's no water so what they do is they truck uh, uh called water buffaloes these big old like tanks of water uh out there for you to so they can get you wet so you'll lay under this water buffalo and they'll crank this thing on and just totally soak you your sleeping bag and everything else and now you go sleep in the bush so i mean that's well let's let's hold off before we dive into too much of that because we can't bypass hell week so okay you're coming up, so you're doing all of this other stuff. By the time you get to Elwick, you said you've already lost a third of your class, right? Yep, yep. All right. How many did you start off with in your buds class? Uh, so we probably started 82. I, I, I mean, I, I, it's been a long time, so I didn't really get the roster, you know. But, I mean, you know, that, we had – it wasn't the, a huge class. There are bigger ones and there are smaller ones, but ours is around 80, 82 people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you, you probably lost around, what, 27, 28 people already. So. Yep. So, I mean, you know, we're already like, all right, you've lost quite a few people, you know, just in all of it. As you know, as you know from later, is that normal? Was that exceptionally high or is that that's normal? I mean, it's pretty normal. I mean, I think nowadays because of the screening is so much more uh, precise. Yeah. Nowadays, because, I mean, they have a whole program that you've got to go through just to go to SEAL training. And I mean, I'm talking before you even get in the military and I mean, before, and then once you get in there's it's a, it's a very well run, uh, more professional deal now than it was back then. Cause back then, like I said, I came out of photographer's mate school and I could have went straight there. If I'd have got there a week earlier, I'd have went straight into a, a class and classed up. So, mm-hmm. uh, not nearly being as prepared as I was for, you know, my six weeks of pre-training. So it's way better run nowadays. All right. Well, let's 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 get into Hell Week now. So you, I mean, you do you you become the sugar cookies. I like that. Uh, I like that saying. Um, you, you, I mean, you've done all this stuff. So how do, is there any preparation for? I mean, you, it's on the schedule, so you know it's coming, right? But is there anything special, or is it just like you wake up one morning and it's like it begins? No. So uh, they do this thing called breakout, and uh, it's you know it's going to be that night. It's a nighttime evolution. What happens, and sometime in the night of you're supposed to be starting hell week. Uh, and they, they usually awake cause everybody just tries to stay awake and you know, man, I'm not going to go to sleep tonight. Cause I know it's tonight, you know? And, uh, but you know, and you're laying in your rack clothed with all your clothes on, you know, and your boots and waiting for this thing to happen. And so, but you know, you eventually midnight comes around you're like, man, they're kind of getting tired. And so you'll doze off. And I just happen to be, I was in the, I went to the bathroom. I was like, well, I got to go to the bathroom. So I go to the bathroom. I'm standing there taking a leak in one of the urinals. And I, uh, I just 
look to my right and there's an instructor standing there with an M60 <laughs> machine gun, like pointed at me. <laughs> yeah. Damn. And he's this huge, his name is, I'll just, I mean, he's retired now. Rocky Carlock, huge guy, big barrel chested frog man, you know, blonde hair, looks like a movie star. And, uh, so he's standing there with an M60 machine gun pointed at me with the, the, uh, uh, rounds across his hand. And of course they're blanks. And, and he just opens up on me. He, he's like 10 feet from me, you know? So I go running out of this thing, out of this bathroom, zipping up and, you know, run outside. And, uh, and I mean, it's on now. They're all instructors are all through the barracks, throwing like uh, artillery simulators and just blowing stuff up and this, that, and the other thing. And I mean, it, and the machine guns are going and, and, and they're squirting you with a water hose as you're running outside, as you're, I mean, you're getting this in the face. And then, you know, they got you in push-up position. And so you're doing push-ups. They're squirting you with water hoses. And one of the instructors throws a uh, artillery simulator and it lands. And I didn't see it. And it landed really close to me and blew up. And it, so it blew up kind of the side of my face. I mean, I won't say blow up, but it went off really close and cut me on the side of my eye. And uh, so I'm bleeding and, you know, whatever, you know, and I'm still doing the push-ups and they're squirting me, you know. And one of the instructors sees it and he's like, whoa, he goes, uh come here. And he, and I, I stand up and he goes, I think you may need stitches for that. You know? And he goes, what do you think, son? He goes, we'll roll you to the next class. Or you, I said, heck no. I said, I'm okay. I'm good. <laughs> so I'm just uh, missing an eye. I've lost yeah. my eyesight. Can't hear, but I'm good to go. I'm good to go, man. So, uh, anyway, took it, off. W- was there any damage from that though? No, I mean, just, it just cut me. It was just, a, okay. it just blew up and I don't know, it sent a piece of something and cut me. And so anyway, I just kind of, it, it quit bleeding and I never got stitches for it or nothing. And uh, just packed some obviously sand in it or something. Cause that happens all the time in hell week. And, uh, so, so you grab your boats. This is the first evolution. And, uh, so you're carrying these IBS is, uh, uh, inflatable boat small is what it's called. And, and you got a six. Oh, I minute. thought it was Murph thought it was irritable bowel syndrome. So well, that's his definition. That's of the way I feel every time I'm on here with Morgan, I have IBS. <laughs> well, everybody has that, uh, uh, irritable bowel syndrome as this is going on. Cause your, your guts are churning because oh, you know, man. God knows what's going to happen next. And so, you, you, your boat crew, which is my guys, my size, uh, are, you know, uh, paired up. Basically, you know, your boat crew when this starts. And so my guys are the, you know, we're the Smurf crew. We're the smallest crew, you know? And, uh, so your takeoff running toward these rocks that are down toward the hotel Del Coronado, you got this boat on your head, you got your paddles in the boat and you're running with this boat on your head. Well, I notice, I mean, you know, this is, I mean, it's a mile down to these rocks and I noticed this thing keeps getting heavier and heavier <laughs> and, and now it's like everybody's passing us and I'm just like, what the heck's going on, you know? And so by this point, everybody in my boat crews quit except for me and one other guy. So the two of us are carrying our boat. What do you mean? They, what they rang, they, they quit? Left. They just, they just, Hey, that's it. And rang the bell and was gone. So Dang. me and one other guy are carrying this boat. They left you hanging. Left us hanging, yeah, on oh the way God. to the rocks. Because you're going to go do this thing called rock portage. And the whole thing is you're, you're paddling. Uh, these boats, 
uh, no helmets, no nothing, you know, into these rocks that are below the Hotel Del Coronado with these massive waves crashing in on these things. And it's just a, a six foot waves, you know, and, and so they'll pick you up and smash you on these rocks. Yeah, these coral rocks they've got out here, you know, for a, a break for the Hotel Del Coronado. So that's the first evolution you do in Hell Week. Well, that's what we did. And so you got to paddle, and then the instructors will, will be on the beach with these uh, lights that they call in like aircraft with, you know. And uh, so when those come together, you know, you're the next one in line. You got to you got to land that boat on those rocks, and it's a disaster. Like every time, you 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 can't really land them on it. Uh, and be successful without getting smashed on these rocks. So the whole point is just, you know. Well, the coral sucks too. I mean, coral is not like rock. Coral cuts the shit out of you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, they're big brown rocks and, I, and, I, and they're not like the ones above, the part of it above water's not got the barnacles on it, but under the water, it's covered in these barnacles. And so you're just getting swashed on these these uh, barnacled rocks, you know, underwater. And then you're trying to claw your way up, get your boat up on the rocks. And then you got to launch back off of these rocks to go back out to sea. And then you, you do this all night. That's what you're doing. You're, you're, you're going out and then the next crew comes in and they get crushed. And then you're just in a line of guys getting crushed, you know, getting on these rocks. And this is before helmets. This is before any of that, you know. So, I mean, we had injuries. People lost people on that. I mean, so that was your first evolution in Hill Week. Wow. Yeah. How many people did you lose that night? I don't know. I mean, we lost a lot. I mean. Uh, well, you lost at least two that we know of, the guys who left four. you hanging. They let, well, yeah, four in my boat crew. The oh, first, six of you to start? Six of us. Yeah. Oh, and four of them bailed on you. Four of them bailed. Are so, the instructors yeah, no. on the so we had to get put in you? another crew because of the next size up, and which was pretty nice until they started quitting too, you know. And then and then you got more weight on your head, you know, from the a <laughs> little bit taller guys, you know. So <laughs> are the instructors yelling at you from the beach when you're trying to land on the rocks? They don't have to because uh, I mean they're just watching, you know, like and laughing. Going, oh, well, they're they're watching with like disgust, you know. Yeah. I mean, they're they're just like you idiots and you know this that and the other thing. And so it's it's they can't you can't hear them, you know. But they're just they're just watching, and then they'll point you back out to see, and because they got those lighted sticks, you know, that they'll send you back out, you know. Well, I'm, so, I'm just wondering about the guests at the hotel if they have to wake up in the night, come walking out on the balcony. There'll be people know. standing on the beach watching this whole thing. I mean, you know, I mean, just lined watching these people get crushed on these rocks because it's no it is fun to watch. Have you ever been to the hotel, Murph? The hotel, uh, <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, I mean, you know, so that's been down there. That is a it's a beautiful area, and I it think is. part of the attraction is people come out there to see the seal training. They come out to see. I mean, there's neat things too. You'll see on other exercises, you see these awesome looking boats. People will be coming back after doing some extra. We were down at Virginia beach one time, saw the same thing, saw some guys coming back in. And I think that's part of the attraction, but it's like, can you say, can you imagine waking up at one o'clock? Oh dear. It's about time for the, the poor kids to crash into the rocks. Let's the go. Seals watch are going to be on the rocks tonight. <laughs> and I'm not talking about the animals. And, and it isn't just the rock evolution. So they'd have you bear crawl all the way to the uh, condominiums past the Hotel Del Coronado. So you'd start at the seal compound, two miles of bear crawling in the soft sand. So they get to to see all kinds of cool stuff. Yeah, cool. (laughs) (laughs) Did did, did, did you ever hear any any folks shouting words of encouragement to you? Never. Never. Not one. No, I I mean, you're so miserable that you're really not paying any attention to anybody, (laughs) but, you know, just trying to survive. Did you ever hear any words of sympathy? Nope. 
No, no. I mean, people are scared. I mean, they're just like, oh my God. They're just like, how can these people still be alive? You know, mm -hmm. I mean, watching this whole. Uh, and it's self-inflicted. They're, they, they volunteered for this. Watching you know? this whole car wreck happen right in front of me. And, and there's nothing they can do. There's nothing they can say. They're just like, you just see them with their stunned look on their face, you know, like watch you go by because our time runs and all that are all down past the hotel del coronado i mean you know you'll be running down there you'll hit the rocks and then there's a place past the rocks you turn around and you're coming right back through those rocks and heading back to the to you the know Murph, he's getting the same look with this as he did when he was back in north carolina carrying around an eight foot log in the park yeah. goes, you want some help with that <laughs> I, I just saw that guy like two days ago too, and then, yeah same guy oh yeah well, so, where your log is <laughs> No, I was just driving down the road and he was checking his cows and I threw my hand uh, up at him. So. Where's that stick, boy? Yeah. Where's that big stick? <laughs> hey, um, so, but that's the first night, right? So now, first night. don't don't jump to the end yet, but just in terms of bookending this whole thing, during this whole week, how many hours of sleep do you guys get? I would say we won a race. You have to win something to get some sleep, at least back then. And so we won a race. We go out and dump boat and then come back in and you all had it. You hit the surf at the same time. You run to the beach, you got your boats, you throw that boat. And the, I mean, the waves are breaking like six foot waves right on you. And you got to jump in your boat and you paddle through the surf. And if you can make it through that surf, and then you get out past the surf zone, you dump boat is what it's called. So guys get in the water, they'll hang on to one side of the boat. And then the guys stand on the top and they'll flip it over. And then everybody gets back in the boat and you paddle back into the beach. Well, we won an evolution of doing that my boat crew did and so uh we uh actually got to prop our boat up uh the sun was coming up or whatever it was we propped our boat up and we got 10 minutes of sleep and that was that 10 was all minutes yeah whoa i thought you were gonna say like an hour but dang. no no murph, was, murph sleeps 10 minutes at least down on every podcast we do holy cow I, I, that's like 10 minutes an hour on these podcasts I just saw you if y'all hear this you'll know what that is <laughs> Ten, oh man! But 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 for the whole time, how much how much sleep do you think you got during that week? Ten minutes. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> yeah, Holy it was god. not. I, I think maybe now they may be regulated a little bit more, where you actually get to like. Uh, but I'll tell you what, you can sleep while you're rowing. I'll put it that way. So we'd have to paddle from the San Diego Bay all the way out through the opening and back into the seal compound, and you'd be rowing, you know, paddling your boat not rowing. I, I, I won't say people are going to be like, what's he talking about rowing, paddling, paddling your boat. Uh, you know, and then, I mean, you know, it's a long way. And during that paddle, you'll see like, I don't know, f fake ships and, and you'll see like, uh, start hallucinating. You'll see like pink elephants and, and whatever it is, you know, you're just kind of like, Oh, and so, and then you'll wake up all of a sudden. So, you know, somewhere in there, you know, you, it, you, and you, you, you just kind of stop paddling sometimes and your guys, your guys will kick you and be like, Hey, you know, and you got to start paddling again, you know? So, I mean, you're so exhausted though. I mean, so you do catch a wink here and there, but that's the one time I remember that they said, Hey, okay, you, uh, you guys, you won, set your boat up, go to sleep. And uh, it was about 10 minutes for what I remember. Wow. I bet, I, and but see, that's why, uh, you know, you, you'll hear the guys that do this kind of work, especially military. It's like you grab sleep when you can because you never know when you're not going to get it. Absolutely. Absolutely. You, and you can sleep on a concrete floor. Uh, you're, you're so tired. I mean, you'll put a boot under your head and go to sleep. I wish I could do that now. I mean, I, you know, I'm like, 
Last night I woke up and I'm like, man. Ah, you're you're getting soft. Jeez, I am. I must start sleeping on the porch. <laughs> That's what your wife said. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you piss her off enough, you'll be out there for much longer. Absolutely. Um, well, so, but Hell Week is now, when you say week, five days, seven days, or is that just kind of a euphemism? It just it depends on how long they want to run you? Yeah, usually it'll start on a Monday and you'll end on a Saturday is usually the, uh, I mean, that's how, I think that's how ours was. Uh, but do, yeah, you know, you, do you know when the end's coming or you're just you know it's a week. whenever it is? Yeah. You don't, but you know, when, you know, you get to Friday and man, you know, you're just like, oh my gosh, you know, uh, it's just misery, constant misery. Cause they took you down to camp surf. It's, uh, it's this place down the, the beach and you, you live basically around this, it's called the demo pit. And, uh, and there's this big rope that goes through this demo pit and they'll hook a truck up to it. And, and, and this water, there's this nasty water in this pit. It's black and it's nasty and there's all kinds of stuff in it as far as like organisms. And it, it, you do, you don't want to get in this water, but they make you like crawl through this water. You'll get to one side of this, uh, uh, contraption that they have set up with these poles on either side with a rope running through the poles. And then they hook a truck up to one end of that rope. So now you're, you're having to crawl across this rope underneath this rope, uh, with your feet on the rope and your hands on the rope. And they're pulling this thing back and forth with a pickup, you know, just ramming it, wow, 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 you know, back and forth. And so you're flying up in the air and then eventually it shoots you off like a, uh, a, an arrow <laughs> up in the air and you land back down in this water, which is only about four or five feet deep. So you hit the bottom, you know, and people get hurt and, you know, anyway, so that's where you're living for a, a whole, uh, three or four days of this whole thing. You're eating, they'll come and they'll throw sand in your food and uh, you get box lunches. And, and so I was going to say, did they feed you while you're going through this? Yeah, they do. They, I mean, honestly, uh, and every now and then you got to go to the chow hall and just eat like, crazy men you know and and they, they do feed you they got to i mean you know uh, otherwise yeah you run like you say you run out of fuel you can only go for so long how many you times do you throw up well i never threw up oh you don't want to lose that food murph no <laughs> yeah but I'm, I'm sure they didn't let you walk out of the mess hall back to the beach i'm sure they had to run you back down there didn't they? no you ran everywhere even even when you're not in hell week you run absolutely everywhere you go there's no there's no walking uh it's you run everywhere you go you know, and so then you, you run back across the uh, amphib base is where is the chow hall. You run back across to the buds compound and then you run back down to, uh, like I said, surf camp. But when we were at surf camp, they gave you box lunches. And so, you know, you, you're eating them and, and, and you're miserable. And then at night when the sun goes down, they always had this saying, you would be ready to, uh, you know, the, you, you, and it, it's, I mean, in the desert in, in California, when the sun goes down, especially, this is probably like March, February, March time. It's cold, doesn't it? Oh, man. And they'd be like, oh, goodbye, Mr. Sun. Hello, Mr. Cold. <laughs> and they'd go below the horizon. You watch this beauty. They'd have you all stand out and watch that sunset. And then they'd say that and they'd go below the horizon. They're like, okay, hit the surf. So Dang. you'd go in the surf, lock your arms and be laying their head out to sea. And then they get you out. And then, after they've tortured you for hours, then, uh, you, uh, you come out and they've got a bonfire lit, you know, and you're like, Oh my gosh. And this is really probably to save your life. I mean, we didn't know this at the time, but they're like, okay, guys, get around the fire, warm up, you know, so you don't die of hypothermia. So, you know, you get all warm and nice and toasty. And we, and what the, what they would do this is right at shift change. 
So, Until you get fresh instructors to come in and take over. Yeah, absolutely. So <laughs> they'd be like, we'd be sitting around, they'd be like, okay, so we're going to have story time. So they'd have guys tell stories about their first girlfriend or whatever. And, and anyway, so, and, 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 you know, you're like, man, they're kind of being nice. And then they go, oh no, who is that? And they'd look down the beach and there's these headlights, like this train of headlights at about 80 miles an hour coming down the beach. And they're like, oh no, that's the next shift. What are they going to do when they catch you by this fire? You know, and just, so everybody's mind is like snapping, you know, and man, they come like power sliding in, sand flies on. I mean, they power slide it within feet of you sand flies all over everybody and they jump out and man they're like what the h is going on here you sobs or whatever around the fire getting the surf and i mean you'd have people just quitting like like that you know Done. just man left and right you know so, yeah i mean we're we're laughing now right it's like anything you're laughing now but it's like you, you look at it and you go i mean i know in your mind you said it's you know it's death or i make it there's there's no in between but at any time during that, did it ever enter your mind to say how easy it would be to ring that bell and make this misery go away? I don't think so. I mean, I, like I said, I, I I went in it with, I was, I turned 19 while I was there. I was 18. I turned 19 and I went there and I, I had no plan B. I'm from the hills of North Carolina. Uh, I got no education. I don't, you know, I ain't been to college. Uh, I don't want to, uh, and, and I mean, they would purposely stand you you come out of the chow hall they'd be like all right everybody line up and you look across the bay at all the ships across the uh the bay and they'd be like look at your new home boys that's where you're gonna be as soon as you quit you know and so i'm just looking at them ships and i'm like i ain't gonna be on no ship you know i mean I, that's just that ain't happening you know and so uh, you have to have that mindset that's it i mean there's no like hey i'm i'm thinking about quitting or whatever no you can't even think that you know, and and I mean, obviously, we're not laughing at you here. For it's amazing what you guys went through. The, the oh, I don't know. I'm laughing at them. I can't imagine in there taking a pee and somebody takes an M60 and starts oh firing rounds. I would have peed and crapped at the same time. Yeah, I'd have to go change my <laughs> pants before we went outside. <laughs> Unbelievable. Oh man. Well, but but that's but look, but we're go we're going into a lot of detail on this for everybody who's listening because you have to appreciate everything that's gone on because we're going to talk about his. Um, wildlife experience than um, uh, Delta. But it, this mindset is what allows you to survive. And I mean, Kevin, we haven't even started talking about the shit Kevin did, the medals right. he got, what he did. I mean, that's that's coming. And so, um, but let's talk about now winding down Hell Week. So how did the end of Hell Week come? And is there a ceremony? Is there anything special they do to market? Or is it just like, hey, you survive, get some sleep. We start this thing again tomorrow. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to say it's a big ceremony, but uh, what happens is it'll be daylight or it'll be a, the last day. Uh, you know, they'll they'll try to make it out like, okay, well, tomorrow we're going to do this, and they're 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 trying to break your mind again about this is going to keep going. This is going to, you know, today's not the last day, you know, and everybody thought, man, today's the last day, and then they're going to come with, hey, we got to run today, and so they they're going to lead you on a run. You've been through this whole week of all this stuff. And you're at miserable. You're chafed. You're swelled up from seawater being in your body from osmosis. Your feet are all swelled up. Your boots are not fitting. You have to untie your laces. And I mean, so it's, you're miserable. And that's like, hey, we're going to do a time run or whatever it is, you know. And you're like, oh my gosh. So everybody form up on the beach, get ready for this time run, you know. So you're, you're, everybody's in formation, you know, getting ready to do this time run. They're like, okay, left face. And you're looking out to sea. 
and then the commanding officer comes up on the berm uh, of the uh, of the beach right there, and he's standing on the berm. And they're like, okay, about face. Everybody t- does an about face and looks, and he's standing there, and he says, okay, you're secure from Hell Week. And I mean, that's that's pretty much it, you know. And uh, did you fall down on the ground? Well, no. The instructors actually come up, shake your hand, tell you good job, and uh, go like you said, go get chow, get some rest, and uh, Monday it starts all over. So, did you get chow or did you just go right to sleep? No, actually, uh, I, I mean, you know, I mean, I, I was tired and everything, but, and it didn't hit me till later in the day. I was like, there was a, a pizza place down the road and I, I put on, and this was a mistake. I put my cowboy boots on and, uh, walked to this pizza place down the road, you know, I'm wait like, a I'm minute, define, we've been through this before, define down the road, 12 miles. No, 10 miles. this is only about a mile, uh, <laughs> not quite a mile, probably three quarters of a mile. So I go down to the pizza place, I grab my pizza, I come back and now my feet are really swelling and I've got these stupid cowboy boots on, you know? And so I'm just like, Oh my gosh, I can't wait to get back to the room, you know? And you go, you're going to the bathroom like every hour because you've absorbed all this water in your body from laying in the surf you know, from landing water for a week straight, you know? And so you've absorbed this water into your body. So your feet are swelled, your hands are, you look like, uh, there's that movie with Will Smith where he has that allergic reaction. That's your hands kind of look like that. And just, it's, it's, you know, and my, it didn't hit me until I got back with my pizzas and you know, I'm, I'm so I barely can get my boots off. I'm eating my pizza and I wake up like, with a half eaten piece of pizza, <laughs> like six hours later, you know, and I'm like, Oh, it's the middle of the day. And, and then I eat another piece of pizza and I fall back asleep and I wake up and it's, it's Sunday. And so it was just, but then Monday it all starts over. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So, uh, by, mm. so when that Monday comes, uh, you start with 82, how many are left? You think I would say 30. Wow. Mm. Okay. So you've lost a third, a third, you know, a third, the first one, the third during hell week. And now, yep. all right. So what's the, so you're now six weeks into this? Six weeks. Yep. So Monday that started second phase for us. And, and what they do is it's the classroom portion of all the weapons that you're going to learn to take apart and to do all, take the tests on and this, that, and other thing. So you have a week of learning all the weapons. So basically letting you recover from hell week, you get about a week, you know, and you're learning to take these weapons apart and this, that, and the other thing, but you still have a timed run like on next Thursday or whatever it is, you know, and so it doesn't quit, but they do slack off for a few days so that you can recover a little bit. Now, the other thing too, is even though you got weekends off during uh, pre-training, there are, there are no weekends off when you get to buds. No. Yeah. You're off. It just depends because you're gone. You, you leave the compound and you're gone for weeks on end to go do land warfare and to go do, and during hell week, of course, you know, you're working that weekend and, but there is a few weekends, uh, that you do have the whole weekend off. You know, and it's, you know, but most of the time, though, they have something planned that it's going to go into Saturday or it's going to go. You got to start Sunday or whatever it is. So, uh, but yeah, in second phase, because you leave for San Clemente Island, uh, you know, pretty quick uh, for land warfare. So that means you're working all the time. Now, did some of the guys who made it through this far, did they, did anybody go out like on a weekend and just do something foolish, get themselves in trouble and get kicked out? 
I don't think so. Not in my class. Uh, that did happen, though, because Tijuana was really close. That's and why so, I was asking. Yeah, you crossed the border. And um, and we went down there. I mean, uh, no, I didn't go at, during BUDS. I don't think I went during BUDS. I went after. I went back for some training later on. But I was I didn't have a car. Uh, none of us hardly had cars. There maybe were a couple older guys that had cars and, and, uh, you know, they weren't about going to Tijuana. So I don't think I went during, during the training, you know, I didn't really go anywhere, you know, I mean, I was focused. I mean, it was just like, Hey, I don't, this is do or die for me. So, uh, I ain't worried especially, about going out and doing especially nothing. Especially after you survived hell weeks. Like, I don't want to do anything to screw this up now. Yeah. Yeah. Now you get that. your brown t-shirt cause you made it through hell week and, uh, you're one of the, you know, cool guys cause you made it through hell week, which you're really not, but you think that, you know, you're like, <laughs> yeah. I don't have to wear that white t-shirt anymore. Yeah. You don't yeah, have I, to wear I, I, I felt like a damn stud walking around there. If I survived that, I don't well, I mean, the white though. t-shirts, trust me, Murph, the white t-shirts were brown even during the first six weeks. Mm, I mean, you I get bet. the sand and everything, but they start off brown this time instead of white. So, That's right. um, what, during the weapons phase, what was your favorite weapon? Uh, well, really, I mean, it's basic. You know, you got an M60, you got M16s, you got M14s. And so I liked the M14. I mean, it was a 7.62 weapon and it just, it was really accurate and it was a powerful weapon. And we had the M16s from Vietnam. I mean, that was the ones that they had slated for, you know, uh, I mean, because it really didn't matter. You know, you're just learning to, to shoot basic and this that and other thing so we had old m16s and but i enjoyed shooting the m14s and the m60 was fun when it worked so were but, the m16s 552 caliber yeah they're just 556 uh, 556 sorry in the 762 yeah. um but now but from a sidearm standpoint what was the uh because i know there's been a lot of transitions with sidearms do you remember what the uh official sidearm was well, I'll tell you what we shot. What I the the one I enjoyed shooting the most uh, in uh, seal training was the uh, 357 Magnum. It was a uh, wheel gun. It was just a stainless steel. I distinctly remember shooting it, and I thought, man, that's a pretty cool gun. You know, uh, was it I, a Colt or a Smith? Or it was a, a Smith. Yeah, because model we, 686 probably. Yep, it was because we would use those for shipboarding because they're stainless steel. Mm -hmm. They work. Doesn't matter what happens, they work. And so that's what we would use for shipboarding later on. And, and, you know, as I was, when I was a seal, but, uh, and then they had back then it was the Beretta was the sidearm, you know, that they trained us on, you know, in seal training. Yeah. The 92s. Everybody has those. those everybody had big, them back then. Yeah. I got the not model 96 Centurion, but, uh, cause it's the 40, but those were the nines, right? That was the nine mils. Yep. Yeah. So, uh, but you kind of get the week off. So what's the rest of, uh, SEAL training like now, your BUDS class? So, um, you say it's a six months and you're only a month and a half into this at this point, right? Yep. So now it's just more, I mean, you're still being tortured whenever they can, but it's, uh, uh, you're learning, you're actually learning, uh, land warfare, small unit tactics, land navigation, you're learning radios. Uh, like I said, you're learning the weapons you, you're cause you have tests on all this stuff. You got to mm -hmm. make comms. You got to uh, take this weapon apart and put it back together in two minutes. You got, you know, just it, it's more of a learning phase. You're learning uh, hydrographic reconnaissance where you you're you're got a lead line and you're swimming out into the ocean and you're dipping this lead line and you know that it's got knots in the line every feet every foot and you dip it down and you and you write on a little slate uh, of what the depth is and so then they'll collect all these up and put this. Uh, uh, 
chart together that basically lays out the way the beach is laid out and the depths and everything. And it's for the Marines to come in. That's what this is. It goes back to World War II. You look for obstacles. You dive down. You look for obstacles. Uh, you know, you're doing your depth findings and all that. So that's all going on during this phase of the training. So I got a, I got a test question for you, Kevin. Who is the most dangerous man in the Army? Second lieutenant with a map and compass. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> You're talking about land nav. Land nav has ruined more uh, opportunities than I think almost anything else. Yeah, and a, and a second lieutenant that won't listen is, uh, is the worst. <laughs> so, yeah. Any, anyway, anybody don't know how to navigate and won't listen to their point, man, is like, oh, man. Hey, You're long not long day. for this world, pal. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So, but, but, so, uh, so you're doing all of this stuff now, where do you guys go to do a lot of this work? I think you were talking, you, you said it earlier, but when you were doing like your land warfare and your small unit tactics, where do they take you? Uh, they take you out to San Clemente Island. It's, uh, off the coast of California. A couple, I guess we drove out there in a boat. Uh, they had old Vietnam sea foxes and PLs from Vietnam that we would, uh, that's what they take us out to do our ocean swims. They take you out miles out into the ocean, kick you out of the boat, and then you got to swim back to the beach. So, I mean, this is a weekly occurrence, you know, and, uh, and what's so, a PL? Uh, it's a, it's a patrol boat. It's the okay. one in like, uh, you see it in, uh, apocalypse now, those type of boats that went up the rivers, the brown water Navy, basically. And, uh, so anyway, that's, that's what's going on during this time frame. And, and like I said, all, the obstacle course, the time runs, the swims and the torture, all that is still going on, but you're actually having in between all that, you're learning to do all this stuff. And then you got to study, you got room inspections. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, yeah, it's a full plate. Man, well, look, we're just sitting here. I, well, a lot of it, we're shaking our head, but it's an admiration going, man. Absolutely. You know, just just to just to get this far. It's like the old saying, I didn't come this far just to come this far. It's like, you know, we're graduating now, right? So where did you, but at some point you're going to start losing more people, but. Uh, All during it, this time, you're losing people. So people will fail time run or they'll fail a obstacle course or, and uh, you're gone. How many of them, how many of it was failure to, to hit a standard versus ringing the bell? At, at this point, it's more a failure of a standard, you know, because, I mean, you know, you still had people quit and stuff because certain evolutions uh, were so miserable that, you know, people would just be like, I'm, uh, I'm done, you know, or whatever. And, but it was at this point, it's pretty rare because of, you know, you, you made it through hell week, you, you're, you know, you're a pretty you tough guy. Go. And so uh, at this point, like, so, I mean, like in the next phase, we lost a lot of people to dive physics. We actually had to do dive physics, which was, I mean, uh, really, I mean, P1 plus V1 equals B2 plus V2. So I mean, you're calculating residual nitrogen levels? Yes. I mean, that's, you know, and it wasn't easy. I mean, it was just, and you had to, you had to know it. I mean, I had to study that stuff all night long before a test and, and I had it, you know, by the end of it, but some guys didn't get it, you know, and we lost guys for that. And this is, that's in third phase. So, uh, weapons tests, you know, the, the, taking the tests on the, you know, the rate of fire and this, that, and the other thing, you'd lose guys in that, you lose guys, uh, breaking down an M60 and putting it back together. Uh, you know, they'd miss the time. They give them another t try and they miss it. They're out. So, I mean, what would happen if you were like at that, where you're at right now, that phase right now, let's say you got hurt, you broke an ankle or a foot, you know, um, 
do you have to go back and start all over again? That includes Hell Week, or where where do they start you off at? No. So I had a good friend, uh, and uh, he actually was running up the beach. We was on a time run, and and this was after Hell Week, I believe. And uh, but he was such a good guy. He was a a basically Olympic caliber swimmer from uh, Iowa. And, uh, but he was, I mean, he was an athlete all around and he was a super good guy and he's, and he's, he's still around, but, uh, he was running down the beach and I was, I, I, he'd always beat me in these time runs. I was always like second or third and, uh, this guy would beat me. And, uh, and I, I noticed I'm passing this guy, you know, it's a four mile time run, you know, and I'm just like, Whoa, I said, this is not right. You know, uh, I wonder what's up. And his first name's Al. And I'm just like, I said, Al, you all right? You know, and he goes, no, man, my hip's killing me, you know. And so he had a stress fracture in his hip. And uh, and right after I passed him, his hip broke in two, and he just collapsed. Oh, dang. Yeah, oh. onto the beach, you know. And so we're just like, whoa, because everybody loved this guy. He's a great guy. And you hate to lose him out of your class, uh, you know. I mean, he's just just super good guy, you know. And, uh, and he uh, – yeah, they rolled him back, and it took him a couple years, I think. Yeah. And they kept – he's such a good guy. They kept him around till he healed up. He ended up uh, getting through buds. And then, I mean, just crazy stuff happens. His first – I think one of his first, like, static line parachute jumps in the teams, he landed on a rooftop of a building. I think this is how it happened. And then the, the wind sucked him off that rooftop, and he's been in a wheelchair – uh, oh, ever since. God. Damn. Yeah. But yeah, it was a sad situation. I mean, in buds and then after too, you know, but he's got a foundation. He's a great guy. And, uh, when, when he went down on the run, do you guys stop as a team and go back and help or no, do you just keep rolling? No, no. It's, I mean, as soon as I saw an instructor, cause I mean, it's every man for himself, you know, I mean, but now when I was passing the guy, I did say, Hey man, are you all right? You know, cause this ain't normal. <laughs> why am I passing you? You had a rough night last night or what, you know? And so, uh, but yeah, you don't stop. As soon as I got back though, I said, Hey, I said, uh, something's wrong with, with Al, you know? So uh, they went back and got him and, and, you know, but they took care of him because I mean, if you're a good guy at this point, you know, they know that he's, you're he's earned it. He's earned not only that, I mean, there, there's so much time, effort, you know, blood and sweat invested in you. It's like, we're not going to let you go. Well, mm-hmm. how about you're running to your hip breaks in half? <laughs> I mean, that's, there's that. <laughs> so, Unbelievable. There's no, no quit. Well, in that guy. obviously we've, we've, uh, we've, uh, clearly determined there is no psychological test to be a seal. So. <laughs> I'm thinking, I'm thinking if I get a blister on my toe, I'm not getting on that treadmill. <laughs> yeah. It hurts. Right. Oh man! Well, we have the luxury of doing that now. So, uh, hmm. so you're going through all of that. I, I don't want to shortcut a lot of this because there's so much. But I think we've gone through like it, the stuff that makes it legendary. You know, the myths, mm-hmm. the Hell Week, the ringing the bell. You go through all of that. One quick question though, before we kind of start getting into the next part, is by the time you got through with all your firearms training, how many thousands of rounds do you think you probably shot? Just in SEAL training? Yeah. No, I mean, you don't, I mean, you qualify, you, I mean, you shoot and you qualify and this and the other thing, but it's not, that's not the focus. It's, it's, it's more, Hey, yeah, this is a f- familiarization. We're going to teach you how to shoot. You're going to zero your weapons. You're going to qualify. And that's about it for the firearms because you're, you're, the focus is teaching you how to be a small unit, how to operate as a, a platoon, you know, swimming over the beach and then going in, hitting a target and coming back out, rescuing a pilot. And so that's kind of what, 
uh, our focus was when we was doing San Clemente Island. It really wasn't just firearms, you know, I mean, because that's just a small portion. Uh, and the weapons we had, you know, they're Vietnam era, iron sights. I mean, back then it was iron sights, you know, but uh, that wasn't their focus, you know. So, but did a lot of the farms training then come afterwards? Because at some point, I mean, you've got to. Oh, yeah. Once you get to a SEAL team, then that's when you go to shooting schools okay. and all this. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll get into that. So, um, but you're, let, let's kind of talk about then as you get past that, the land warfare, um, all the NAV courses and everything. What's it like as you start getting into your final phase? What kind of things are you working on? Um, how many people are we talking about left? So by this time, we've probably got 20 people left. Um, uh, and it's this dive phase because we lost a lot of people in second phase because it's just one of those, you know, just to eat chow, you had to do 20 pull-ups, you know, or else you ate uh, your food in the surf zone. You ate an MRE in the surf zone. You had to sit in the surf zone like chest deep and eat your food. So uh, if you couldn't do 20 pull-ups. And so, uh, I mean, that was the... I mean, that's how Spartan it is. I mean, out on that island because there's nothing. And, uh, and they're, they're, you know, you're carrying stuff up hills. It's called Frog Hill. And uh, they'll make you carry these, these like rocks. They call them dinosaur eggs. And they're probably about 80 pounds each. And you got to carry this rock up this mountain to the top of this hill and then carry it back down. And, and then you do 20 pull-ups or before chow. Or you've got these pallets, these metal pallets that weigh 50 or 60 pounds. And you got to carry that above your head up this mountain and then back down. Uh, or you got the chaplain. They've got this 200-pound guy. They call him the chaplain because you get about halfway up this mountain with this thing and, and he'll it just crushes you and you fall. And they say, oh, look, he's having prayer with the chaplain. And so, I mean, all this, we lose all these people uh, in that second phase. And plus you're swimming around the island. Uh, it's full of great whites. They're making sure you know there's great whites everywhere. And so uh, you lose a lot of people out there. And so, like I said, so we get down to about 20. We start, then we get back to uh, Coronado and we start third phase, which was dive phase for us back then. And so, and then there, once again, you got that dive physics. And so you have that all through that phase and the test is at the end. You could have made it all through everything and people would fail that test and be kicked out. So, uh, and you're, you know, and then dive, you know, you're, you're, you're breathing on tanks, you're breathing on uh, draggers. And so, you know, what's just, a dragger? It's a chest mounted, uh, actually it's, it's made for, uh, like going into a mine and it's all, uh, 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 O2. There's no, it's just all O2. There's no pure O2. It's not, it's not like a, a, a scuba tank, which is air. And so, you know, 79% uh, uh, and then uh, some oxygen, but this is pure O2. And so they would go into mines with it, you know, back in the old days and, and work because you didn't have any air down there. So they, they, they've modified it to dive with it. And it's on your chest and it's got this stuff called sodazorb, and what it does is it'll scrub your breath and take out the carbon dioxide, and and it goes back in, and you'll you'll rebreathe this over and over until you get all the O2 out of it, and then you get another breath of O2, so that you can stay underwater for three or four hours on this rig. Well, so, and and it's not a very big rig either. It's not like having two big tanks on your back no, or no, anything else. It's mounted on your chest, and I mean, it, you know, it's it's cumbersome, and but so that's just like okay with that deal. Like you'd be having to do buddy breathing in a in a pool, you know. So you're having to buddy breathe, and so these it's got these uh 
it's two tubes that come around in a mouthpiece. So you got to turn the mouthpiece off, hand it up to your buddy, and he's swimming on your back. He's got to breathe, and then he's got to turn it off, hand it back down to you. So you'd lose people like in that evolution because it's super stressful. Because I mean, you know, you've got you know, uh, it doesn't sound like it, but it's uh, you're running out of air and you're swimming and you need that thing and you're like, hey, you know, and then he maybe he needs another breath and then he don't get it to you in time and he turns it and water gets in it and you suck in water, you know, and so now it's like, oh no, you know, and you got a mouthful of water and if you can't think enough to go spit it out and then open that thing back up, blow it out and then get air, then you got to think about all that with not having any air. You know, so as he hands it down to you, you're out of air. You get a big mouthful of water. You've got to be have enough sense to turn that thing off, blow that out, turn it back on, blow it out, and then take a breath. So it's just man. That, you said that might a, sound like a lot. That sounds like a hell of a lot. Yeah, yeah, hell of a lot. But from an operational standpoint too, that thing did not produce bubbles like you normally see no. with uh, dive tanks, right? So this this would be truly stealth. Yeah, unless you're having to do what I'm just talking about and you have to and blow it out, out, you know, and all that. But, you know, that's just a, a, an extremist situation. You're having to buddy breathe with your buddy, you know. In but but if you were operating, uh, you know, no buddy breathing, but just operating no, you from a surface standpoint, you wouldn't see anything. You wouldn't see anything, no. And if, and if you're buddy breathing on an operation, you're in a – It's already gone to shit. Now. Something's happened. It's, yeah. it's a bad deal, absolutely. So, you know, but – and then you have things like pool comp where it's uh, – uh, you have a tank on and you'll be down on the bottom of the swimming pool and an instructor comes down and he like wraps that cord around your neck and then takes your mask off, uh, ties your, uh, mouthpiece mouthpiece hose into a knot. And now you, you, you know, you're trying to undo all this. He turns your air off in your tanks. So now you've got to figure out, okay, you got to try to turn your air back on. You got to try to figure out if you can get a hold of your, uh, uh, mouthpiece and then, get some air you know well you figure out you can't do it you got to take all your stuff off in a certain sequence you know after you've been slung around the bottom of this swimming pool for you know 30 seconds now once you figured out you tried to fix it on your back you get it off and you lay it down and you try to undo the knot and try to get the air back on try to get some air out of the tank if you can't you undo your weight belt you lay your weight belt across this thing and then you exhale and you go to the surface and then you know if you did everything right you pass if you didn't you get to do it again if you go up and get a breath is that failure no well that's the whole point is hey i've worked through everything i can work through i tried to get this knot this whammy knot they call it instructors can tie a whammy knot in there where it goes around the manifold of the tanks uh you know they, they get this thing where you can't undo it you know and then but if they didn't do the whammy knot and and you just took your tanks off, laid your thing across and went up, they'd fail you. So you at least got to try to, Hey, undo this thing and try to get a breath of air, you know, and then turn your air back on and okay, now you're good to go. And then, and then basically you put your thing back on, then you go up. But if you, yeah, I mean, it's just a, there's a lot to it. There's a, I didn't do a lot of diving, but you know, but I remember when you talked about that, the dive tables, this is where this, all this training comes in, right? Because depending on how far down you are, mm -hmm. when you do this, if you've got nitrogen in your nitrogen in your system, that's where the people used to call it getting the bends. You'd have people come up and get the bends and they'd have to put them in a decompression chamber to get that nitrogen out of your system. Cause that, that, you know, that, that'll kill you. 
Absolutely. I mean, we only do uh, one, it's called a bounce dive, just so you get a familiarization in buds. They'll take you out and you'll dive down to 120 feet with a set of tanks on and you'll come back to the surface and that's it. Uh, so if you stayed down there for any length of time, you know, then you've got to uh, spend a certain amount of time at each mm-hmm. atmosphere, depth right? of water atmosphere as you come up. And with the O2, you can pretty much, as long as you don't go below 60 feet, you, that none of that matters because you're breathing pure O2. There's no nitrogen in there. Yeah. So is it like every 30 feet is like the equivalent of an atmosphere? It's an atmosphere, yep. So with the, uh, uh, with the O2 breathing that, if you go below 60 feet, though, it becomes poisonous below 60 feet. Wow. <laughs> so much to remember. Wow. Well, that's, that's why I sit by the pool and order drinks. I, I don't take the risk of uh, doing that, you know. Oh, Man. my gosh. Well, uh, you know, I know, we're, I know we're well into this podcast, but this is so fascinating. We haven't gotten to the law enforcement part yet. I mean, well, we so haven't even got to the Delta part of this. This is going to be a nine-hour podcast, I'm afraid. Yeah, this, uh, it's fascinating. Hey, yeah, guess what? And you don't get to go to the bathroom, pal. You go when we say you go. <laughs> Otherwise, I'm going to have somebody throw sand in Hey, you can see him. He's got freaking muscles on top of his mouth. Don't piss this guy off, man. <laughs> Great thing about being on video, unless you're a hell of a shot from North Carolina to Virginia, I'm kind of safe for a while. Um, when I don't see any bubbles in my bathtub, then I'm going to know somebody's waiting there for me. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Speaking of Murph, he has bubbles in his bathtub, but that's a different thing. Uh, let's get thing. back to you. Yeah, let's get back to you, Kevin. So, um, as this thing is coming to an end, I mean, you're coming up on the end of this six months. What's it like in the like in the last, let's say, month? What kind of things are you doing, and how's the how's the atmosphere? Okay, so it's more. Um... I don't want to say it's, it's more professional. It really is. I mean, it's more, okay, these guys are to the last of this thing. They want to see you make it at this point. You know, I mean, now they're not going to cut you any slack. You fail something, you don't pass the die physics. Uh, you do something stupid. Uh, you're gone. I mean, but at this point they know you have what it takes at least to not quit. Okay. And so if you've got the brains to get through the dive physics and all that, okay, it's, it's more of a, uh, camaraderie because you're doing a 14 mile beach run with the instructors. I mean, now it's miserable because you're in back then we wore UDT shorts and I don't, you know what those are, but they're these super short, um, little tan shorts they wore in World War II and they'll super chafe you. And so it was all in, in jungle boots back in those days. So, you know, you're running a six minute pace, 14 miles on the beach in jungle boots. I mean, you know, it's, and there's two or three of us left the instructor and dudes are stre- strung out all along the beach, you know, uh, trying to, trying to survive and get through this in the time allotted. You've got like a seven mile ocean swim that there's a, uh, uh, allotted time you have to make it. And so, and then you've got all this whole, uh, uh, pool comp and all the diving going on and, and learning how to, uh, get your rig together. Cause it's all on you, you know? And so all that's going on that last month that you're there. I mean, like I said, it's changed now. And now I think second phase is die phase. But all this is going on in that last month. Hey, talk real quickly, too, as we wind up this portion of it. But you, we've talked a lot about the instructors. Now, I think some people will think, oh, the instructors got it easy. They just show up. They sit there. They have fun. But if you're an instructor at BUDS, um, are you able to do compete with everybody else who's going through that phase? In other words, in terms of being in shape, being able to do the pull-ups, the runs and everything? The instructors lead everything. 
I mean, it's no cakewalk for them. I mean, they're doing all the pull-ups you're doing. They're doing all the runs you're doing. I mean, it's uh, there's an instructor leading you every leading the PT, leading every step of the way. So it's no like do as I say, not you know. No, they're doing it, and so you're like, well, if that guy can do it. You know, it's very motivating for, for, you know, the guys to see a guy, you know, I mean, I mean, you know, you're talking, I mean, and now that I look at it, they were young guys, you know, they're under 30 or, you know, probably 28 years old. They're running those six minute miles and, you know, now they're in tennis shoes and some of them would run in boots, you know, but, uh, some of them would run in tennis shoes if they were injured or something. But, uh, all in all, I mean, I have the utmost respect for all those buds instructors. I mean, you know, they, they, you know, some of them are harder than other ones and I appreciate them all because they made me who I am. Yeah. And it, and it does, it builds immense respect when a guy gets out there and does it with you. Absolutely. Yeah, they don't, they don't, we, we used to call them ramps, rear echelon, you know, motherfuckers, you know, they would sit back they would just, you know, as opposed to somebody who's at the tip of the spear with you you know, doing the work. Yep. They were right there with us. Uh, I mean, even sometimes they'd even do the swims with us. So, I mean, it was, you know, uh, and I've never been in an environment, uh, like that again, to be honest with you, as far as, I mean, you know, some of the stuff when I, when I went to dev group, you know, the instructors would do with us, you know, but, uh, definitely in buds, it was, uh, they were right there with us. So let's talk about the, uh, the last you, I mean, like your last week, you're getting down to, so how do they wind up your buds training? What, what's that like? What's the ceremony like? What do they do to you? Cause you hear all the stories, you see them, you know, pounding the, the, um, uh, pounding it onto your chest. You know, that, yeah, that's not, that ain't, that's not happening at buds. Uh, that, uh, your last week really is you're, you're, you're finishing up your dive physics test. You're, you're doing whatever it is, you know, your last time run, your last O course, your, you know, this, that, and everything. You're filling out where you want to go, what SEAL team you want to go to, a wish list. And, uh, and that's pretty much it. I mean, you know, the graduation, if you make it, you pass your, your test, they, they, uh, issue you a set of camis, uh, and, uh, and you get ready for graduation. You'll, you'll do a rehearsal for your graduation, where you're going to sit and all this stuff. And by this time, uh, there's how many people are left. Yeah. There's, there's eight of us originals that started and then they've rolled in guys that were hurt from other classes into our class. And so there's 16 total, but there's eight of us that started in class 160. Eight out of 82. So, wow. uh, but yeah, so then, you know, you, gra- so basically, uh, we'd filled out where we wanted to maybe go and this, that, and the other thing. And I think I put like SEAL team four, SEAL team two. Well, there was a new team started and it was SEAL team eight and they had just started the team. They sent our whole class to SEAL team eight, all of and us. And you're stationed where then? Little Creek, Virginia. Wow. Out in our, out in my, kind of my neck of the woods. Hey, but real quickly too, talk about the difference in the SEAL teams. Do they have different missions? Are they aligned differently? Does everybody expect, cause you know, everybody hears about SEAL team six, but you know, but ev- is everything structured the same or are there different things based upon the team you go to? So the different teams have different areas of operation. AO is what you call it. And, uh, uh SEAL team eight was Africa. You know, and so you've got uh, different like SEAL Team 2s, Europe, uh, SEAL Team 4s like South America, uh, Central South America. Uh, and then uh, the West Coast teams are more, you know, the whole Asia Pacific theater. So and but 
as far as and, and and you know of course they're going to be more jungle you know than you're talking about uh you know seal team eight which you know not going to be jungle you know it's more desert you know so but as far as the training goes it's all pretty much the same you know i mean it's you know you're learning how to uh, uh jump out of planes and to uh uh, rig boats and uh, go to be able to re- rebuild outboard motors, get them to run after they've, you know, come out of a helicopter and flipped upside down in the water. And I mean, you know, you're just doing a workup to do your deployment once you get to a SEAL team. So your wish list, it really didn't mean a whole lot. Did no, it? it didn't mean anything. Cause they just, <laughs> Does that sound familiar, Murph? How many people we talked to? Yeah, I wanted to go here, here, here. Where did they oh, send yeah. you? Buffalo. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. yep, it was just like, yep, your whole class is going to teammate. And they were in trailers at Little Creek at the time, these double-wide trailers. Yeah. Yep. So. Hey, there's nothing wrong with double-wide mobile homes. No, you know, no. I mean, you know, it was it was a – at least it was in trailers and weren't in tents. So yeah. you know, we were pretty happy with that. You weren't sleeping in the sand on the beach, were you? Oh, there wasn't nobody kicking sand in our face. And, you you know, did look like a sugar cookie walking around town. And, and you mentioned the whole uh, getting your trident. You know, well, that's not for another six months because you got to go through this. Back then it was called STT, SEAL Tactical Training. And so you get put into a class with our whole BUDS class and then other people from other teams that had just got to their teams. We all got put in this STT class. And, and basically you have to make it through this. And this is all like more advanced training, more shooting, more land warfare, more land nav, more diving, more, I mean, all this stuff. And then at the end of that six months, you go through a board. And if you get through that board of, you know, of senior people asking you questions, then you're awarded your trident. So, but now, nowadays it's different. They, they go through this thing out in uh, uh, Coronado. Basically, when they leave Coronado now, they have their trident. They've been through, they've been through free fall. They've had all – I mean, it's so much better now. When you get a guy from Coronado now, he is a trained SEAL. I mean, he's ready to go into a platoon. So, but back then, it was different. Well, you talked about free fall. Let's talk about that too. That that's because that's got to be a fun part. I've seen guys that do, you know, they'll do halo jumps, the high altitude, low opening. But you'll see guys, you know, you got at some point you get up so high, you got to have special equipment to do these falls. So what if you can say without disclosing um, anything you're not allowed to disclose, but what's the highest altitude you've ever jumped from? Uh, 35,000 feet. Holy cow. I'm sitting in first class in United Jet at 35,000 feet. I'm going I was to... sitting in there last night, as a matter of fact. I'm thinking, I can't imagine jumping out of there. Yeah, it was pretty pretty neat. It was actually, at the time, a world record because it was a, it was a uh, full combat equipment uh, jump. And uh, when they opened the doors to the C-141, uh, it was just, you're jumping into the contrail. It's just this massive contrail, and the sun's coming up, and we actually had a guy that had a crack in his mask and he actually passed out on the ramp. And, uh, so but I, he was in front of me. And so we all just leapt over him because we weren't going to not like make this jump. Sucks to be you pal, but we're setting a record. See you later. We were scared. They're going to put an arm out and say, Whoa, whoa, whoa. You know? So man, as soon as he went down, it was like leap over this guy and then <laughs> jump out of this airplane. And, and it's a free fall. You free fall for like three minutes. Wow. And just to put it in perspective, let's see if I remember some of my physics, because you do reach uh, terminal velocity, but uh, you reach about what, about 120 miles an hour? Yeah, you do. And and I mean, honestly, some of the guys fall faster, the big guys, you know, uh, and, and but it's, it's right at 120. 
Is there a, so is the jump master getting that guy out of the way for y'all or? No. Or he's just getting uh, out of y'all's way. The, the, the techs on the, the airplane, the O2 techs are the ones and you got medics and you got everybody else on that plane. So, you know, when it's, it's a whole squadron of us doing this jump, you know? And, uh, so, uh, yeah, we just, I mean, you know, we knew somebody was going to take care of him, you know, so it was just, it wasn't like I was going to stop and render aid. Uh, he just was out of O2 and all he had to do is like get his O2 back flowing and then we'd be, he'd be good to go. So that's all they did is they smash that thing to his face, got it going, but he didn't get to jump. So, oh man. Yeah. <laughs> Now, hey, tell us, though, about the riggings, though, too, because what I love, you know, you were talking about World War II compared to this versus the canopies versus the aerofoils. Uh, how neat is that? Yeah, I mean, so uh, uh, our, our our shoots are, I mean, they're pretty big because you got, you're, you got a lot of weight, you know, to uh, uh, have to, you know, drive somewhere and actually where to hold you up, you know, I mean, like 300 square feet, you know, or something like that. But, I mean, there's shoots down to... 160 square i mean even smaller than that these guys that you know and compared to a round i mean uh the maneuverability is just so much better i mean you can you can drive that thing and land on a in a 10 foot square you know i mean just the whole troop you know so whereas if you jump static line with round shoots god knows where you're gonna land so <laughs> 1280 feet static line jump you know yep was the old C-130 rolling down the strip, airborne daddy going to take a little trip. There That's we go. it. That's it. And you just hop out and then pray that you don't hit a tree. <laughs> Stand up, hook up, shuffle to the door, jump right out, count to four. Hey, all of these things come back. Anyway, I digress. First drinking, we have a drinking game too. Anytime I say, now back to our regularly scheduled podcast or I digress, um, you get to, you get, everybody gets to take a drink. So there's your first drink. So um, you go through all of this. So yeah, let's talk about then getting, you go through, because obviously you pass uh, STT. Um, so what's the, what's now that graduation ceremony like when you finally realize that, Hey, I'm about to get my trident. Well, um, it's actually pretty brutal. <laughs> well, it was back then. I mean, you know, you, uh, you get the, I mean, they don't do this anymore. So, but I mean, you get your trident and they pound it in your chest and, uh, and then you get taped to a chair or something and they tie a rope to it and they throw you into the bay. Uh, you know, so you're sitting on the bay at bottom of the bay for a while and then they'll pull you up and, you know, I mean, so. <laughs> It's uh, it was yeah, that it. bad enough. Yeah. Hey, yeah. you know, the one thing we didn't talk about, but this is obviously conditioned you for it at SEER, you know, yep. uh, the SEER training. So, um, hey, I wanted to ask you about that before we move on to that, because that's survival, evasion, resistance, escape. Um, a lot of people don't realize. I mean, I think everybody's misconstrued this whole thing about what waterboarding actually is and what it isn't. But when you guys went through your SEER training, how, how tough were they, are you, were they on you uh, with the SEER training? Well, it, it's just one of those, uh, I don't know, I, I guess, I guess if it, it just depends, you can make it harder on yourself if you want to, you know, and if you, if you do what they tell you to do as far as your resistance, cause all they're wanting you to do is resist. It isn't about escaping and all this other stuff in a wartime seer situation. Uh, if they're wanting you to rake the yard, you know, you might be raking the yard, but you're not going to be doing your best job at it. You see what I'm saying? So that is, hey, that's a small victory. I'm just, I'm so tired that I'm just going to, I'm going to rake like three feet in 30 minutes. I'm, oh, I'm right. I just can't. I'm so hungry. I can't, you know, do what I'm supposed to be doing, you know. And so it's small victories is really, 
is is what it is. Uh, the whole uh, waterboarding thing is one of those things. It's it's a not in a basic uh, seer class. It's in a higher level one, and so I don't I doubt they do that in a in a basic course. Uh, I've been through it in a higher level course, but uh, <clears throat> not in a basic seer course. Yeah, what was that like? It's pretty rough. It's uh, yeah. I mean, you're basically drowning, you know, and you just got to go to that other place. Kind of go to your happy place. Go to your happy place and hope you don't get it in your lungs. So, you know, <laughs> hope it's sterile water. <laughs> mm, not that stuff pit. that came out of the pit. What did not you call the, it? The demo that, pit. Yeah. The demo pit. Oh, my gosh. That's how you know you're going to survive because you get inoculated. You can get inoculated against everything, but that demo pit's going to make you bulletproof. If you can survive that, nothing's going to kill you. Absolutely. All right. So you get you get through all of this now. Let's talk about some deployments that you had. So um, when's the first time you actually get to go? do something so we did a pre-deployment workup uh in my platoon i was in bravo platoon at seal team eight and we uh actually uh, we got we went and did a climbing trip in the uh, dolomite mountains of italy and it was a month long it was really a pretty fun school and during that time uh uh iraq invaded kuwait so desert shield happened and then our deployment was right after that so we deployed and uh went overseas and then we ended up uh going with the marines up into uh uh turkey northern uh turkey and then right in the edge of, and then we started doing missions into uh <clears throat> into iraq doing reconnaissance so was this training that they took you on was that because you know we all i remember the word the lead up to it i mean there was a lot of intelligence or a belief that saddam hussein was going to do that um but was your training based on the fact that that was going to happen or did you just happen to be training and doing that work when this happened well it was just a normal platoon uh workup you know we were doing our normal stuff and then uh somehow our uh platoon leader he had uh arranged for us to go do this climbing trip i mean you know because it's part of our metal you know uh you know basically to be able to do certain things you know and so he had that set up for us and it was just it wasn't a specific for that but that's why we were there doing that so all right so uh saddam hussein invades what do you guys do yeah so uh we actually i mean we came back home uh finished up our workup and then uh, ended up deploying on a marg deployment which is a mediterranean cruise basically uh you know you're with the fleet uh, heading over uh, into the uh, Mediterranean Sea. Uh, we were on a, the USS Austin. Uh, I think it's an LPD is the name of the ship. Uh, it's decommissioned now. I don't even think they, it's in service anymore. But uh, So you're on there with all the Marines and, and everything that goes along with the, uh, uh, a, a Mediterranean a deployment so that they can launch from you know carriers and whatever in that area. So there's always a a group over there. And so we were, that's what we were there to do. But with all that going on with uh, basically desert storm starting about the time we got there, we latched on with the Marines and uh, flew in CH 53s uh, all the way uh, up into Turkey, got in tent city up there uh, with all the Marines. And then uh, basically uh, our commander, our platoon commander started, went and looking for uh, work for us to do. And they uh, tasked us with uh, doing reconnaissance uh, into Iraq. Now, what rank is your platoon leader? He's a lieutenant. 
Okay. But lieutenant in Navy terms is a uh, equivalent of a uh, captain like in the Army and the Marines. Yep, you know, that's, three. Exactly. that's it. So, right. yep. What rank were you at the time? I was an E4. So what's the the Navy stuff? I can't ever figure this stuff out. When we talk to a guy and I'm saying, it's the bosun's mates that it's this, it's that. It used to be easy when it was private, private first class corporal, sergeant. But mm-hmm. uh, what do they refer to you as an E4? What's the official naval title? E4. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, were you like a bosun's this or a you know? Well, I was a photographer's people. mate, uh, uh, third class is is what you are. You know, I was a PH uh, uh, four, I guess. I mean, you know, so basically uh, uh, a PH three because I'd have been a two, I'd have been an E five, a PH one would have been an E six. So I was a PH three. That's what I was. Photographer's mate, third class. Did anybody ever ask you where your camera was? Nope. I never had to deal with cameras or nothing. Once I left photographer mate school, I didn't really have to do any of that. Well, so. not those kind of cameras anymore. There might may have been others. So you said, but your first uh, your first task was a uh, reconnaissance into um, Iraq. So uh, to the extent and and people know we've talked to people that came out of the agency that done classified work. Everything's always governed by non disclosure. So mm-hmm. you are still bound by certain non disclosures about things you can and can't talk about. So when we ask him a question like this and he gives us the answer, you're not going to hear us really drill down because he's going to tell us what he can to the extent of his non disclosure. Is that a fair statement, right. Kevin? Yes, sir. Uh, don't call me, sir. I work for a living. Now okay. hit, hit 20. Give Aren't me 20. Didn't? He back. was a trooper. He didn't work. Oh, please. I did too. Changed tires, went and got people gasoline, you know? Yeah, and solved crime, you know, did did stuff. Well, I covered, speaking of covering, you know, I was the only guy out there sometimes. Uh, anyway, but back to our regularly scheduled podcast, that's drinking game number two. So uh, tell us about your first, uh, your reconnaissance mission. What kind of things, when they wanted you to recon, are you looking for weapons, for people, for movements of troops? What kind of tasks go along with the recon mission? They would have, uh, and it was, it was mostly Republican Guard uh, uh, bases that they would have because uh, they would have pulled them out of Baghdad, put them up there uh, around the country in northern Iraq just to keep them from getting bombed or, you know, whatever during the initial invasion. So our job was to go in and watch and watch what they were doing, you know, and report back. You know, because there was no ISR, it was none of that back then. It was all like boots on the ground. ISR, yeah, the uh, uh, surveillance, intelligence, surveillance, and re- reconnaissance. Yeah, the, the the drones, the manned aircraft, and all that. So, and, yep. So they didn't have any of that back then. You so, just had good old fashioned binoculars and seals on the ground, right? Spot and scopes, binoculars, and so yeah, we were basically that's what we did. We just you know. Uh, sat and watched them and usually we'd stay out a week or two at a time and then another squad would replace us uh from our same platoon so how many how many guys would go out with you uh usually it'd be eight what was the role so you have a team like that how do you break down your roles in a team of eight so it's really your first squad and second squad because there were 16 of us in a platoon and then so you know uh you got your point man uh, basically in your, and your, and you got your, uh, heavy weapons, your M60 gunner, you got the, uh, first squad's commander, you've got, uh, your, uh, uh, lead, uh, NCO basically in that first squad. And, you know, you got basically your rear security guy, your commo guy. So it's basically just a small, I guess, a small platoon basically put together with, so that each one could run independently. And then your second squad had the same thing, except their commander was the lieutenant JG, 
basically who was uh, running that uh, squad. Which is the equivalent of like an O2, a first lieutenant. First lieutenant, yep. And, yeah. But they would usually have the team chief uh, in the second squad so that he can make sure that guy didn't shoot himself or something. So. <laughs> <laughs> They put my, the medic my, in that my section. My mission, sir, here is to make sure you don't shoot yourself or hurt anybody else. That's and it. I, I say that, but I, we had a really good uh, Lieutenant JG, and he was a great guy. So, but uh, but yeah, they do put the chief uh, since he's a more experienced guy in with that second squad, and so we, you know, and they, they've been through Bud's training and all that as well, right? Everybody, everybody in the platoon has been through SEAL training, and yep. So. Hey, now there was one thing I was doing research for something else one time, but, um, is it true though, that the qualified, the, at least the PT qualifications between officers and enlisted, it was higher for officers initially they had to, they had to, they had to do more, uh, you know, more runs or more reps or was the PT test the same? It's exactly get, the same. Okay. I got bad information. I'm going to have to hunt that person down. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't remember them having anything different than what we did. So so uh, now, in, in, in any of these times, let's kind of book in this by saying, how long were you deployed in Iraq? We'll get into some of the other stuff, but uh, your total time out there before you came back to the states, how long were you were you out there? Was it one? Uh, were you deployed once, twice? So really, I mean, Desert Storm was pretty short. <laughs> so uh, we the whole Marg deployment was about eight months, just because of Desert Storm. You know, it it kind of extended a little bit. They're normally six months, but ours was eight months. And during that time you were doing the recon missions, did you ever have uh, enemy contact? Yeah, well, I kind of, uh, I, I guess it was, it was a super stupid deal. I, uh, I was the, I walked point for the platoon. You know, that means I walked up front, I, I navigated, I looked for booby traps, I did all this other, you know, uh, sneaky stuff, you know, so uh, my platoon commander's like, Hey, uh, we're on a, one of those reconnaissance missions. And there was, uh, uh, we were watching a camp and it had a, there was a, a, a white light, almost like a wall tent, but it wasn't a wall tent. It was a, their version of a wall tent. And they were carrying and putting stuff in this tent all day, you know, just, you know, all of a sudden. And, and he goes, I'd love to know what's in that tent. He goes, do you think you could get over there and, uh, see what's in it? You know? And I was just like, I mean, it's a couple clicks away. It's like four clicks, you know, to this tent, and uh, pretty rough terrain in between, you know. Us it's just and, down the road, Kevin. It's just yeah, right down the road, twelve miles. Yeah, no, no, <laughs> but I mean, it's just like out west where we were at in northern Iraq. I mean, you can Montana, you can look at something and go, "Oh, that's just right there." Well, then a day later, you get and you're still it. humping you get it, still yeah. humping it, you know. So, so I'm like, yeah, I think so, you know. And he goes, uh, "Well, who do you think?" could, you know, you will go with you. You won't compromise you. And I was just kind of like, I don't know. I mean, it's kind of sketchy, you know, cause I get down to socks and, you know, uh, I, I, I had my pistol cause it, it, you're not going to do much with a rifle anyway, out by yourself. And so I took a pistol, a couple of grenades, a Willie Pete grenade. So I could mark my position to put fire on it. If I did get compromised and, uh, and took off, you know, with a one twelve radio, which is an emergency radio. We didn't even have comms like inner squad comms. So if I got in a bind, I'd have to come over this thing that everybody and their brother, you know, talking like to jets and everything else is going to hear me. So, uh, <laughs> so anyway, so I take off and, uh, it's like, you know, right at, at dusk in the, in the evening, so I take off, I got a couple canteens of water and, uh, and I 
make my way over there. And, and about halfway, there's like a campfire and guys sitting around a campfire, you know, Iraqi soldiers, you know, so I got to like skirt around and, and then, you know, luckily it was dark and, and I could see their fires cause they all had little campfires and stuff. And so, cause we didn't have any night vision, you know, it wasn't like we were really no night vision. And wow. so we're, cre- I'm creeping through all these camps of these people. And I get to this tent, I check it out. And there's, it's full of like RPGs, AK 47s and big bags of rice. And so, uh, I, I'm making my way back. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to remember where all these little camps were and, and then people will be out taking a leak and you got to like, let them get back to camp. And then you, you know, you slip on around, but then it got daylight and I wasn't back yet. And, uh, so I'm like, Oh my gosh, you know, I'm still a click from, you know, getting back. And, and so I just, uh, I just find a, a crevice and I pull a bunch of dirt and rocks and stuff in on me and, and I'm just waiting because now it's daylight and I got to wait all day, you know, to get back. Cause it's, I got to wait till nighttime. So of course I'm out of water and, uh, you know, and, and the sun's bearing down. So I just basically cover myself, you know, so I don't get like totally roasted by the sun and just kind of try to go to sleep and doze and, you know, I'm laying there all day and, and, and I wake up and there's a snake, like, uh, I, I'm assuming an ass because <laughs> it's got like a super like arrowhead shaped head and it's like right on me there, you know? So I, I just, I grab a small stick and I'm just like flicking this thing, you know, off of this, off of me, you know, but it's like super aggressive. It's like, man, it's coming, you know? So I just stab it and stab it into the ground, you know, and hold it there and kill it, you know, cause I'm, I mean, what else are you going to do, you know? And so I can't move much cause these guys are around, you know? So, so is that your first confirmed kill in combat? That's my first confirmed kill. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> Let me tell you yeah. what, I would have died of a heart attack right there. <laughs> so, uh, Anyway, I end up, uh, it gets dark and I, I'm like, well, but oh. wait a minute. First confirmed kill all of this weapons training. And what does he take the snake out with a stick? I do bow hunt. I love to bow hunt. So, you know, that's, uh, that's well, my at first least it wasn't kill. an eight foot log this time, right? It's just a stick. That's true. <laughs> uh, so yeah. So I end up, uh, man, I'm in bad shape. Cause I, you know, I didn't take any food and, uh, a couple of, and I'm out of water, been out of water for a whole day. And, uh, so I, basically end up crawling back into camp, you know, and thank God it was like the next day we were exfilling to get out of there. And I had to go in the hospital and get like, I don't know, four bags of IVs and, and everything else, you know, cause I was in bad shape, you know, but I, I definitely, uh, learned my lesson about, you know, I learned a couple things on that one. So, and which was, what'd you learn? Well, don't do stuff like that. You know I mean? <laughs> the first lesson don't is volunteer, right? Well, yeah. I mean, I was like, man, that is just crazy. I mean, now that I look back at that, I'm like, holy smokes, man. I just, I could have ended up like, I don't know. Uh, I, well, you know, anyway, so. Could have ended up like that asp. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But anyway, so it was not a, it wasn't a super smart deal, but that was really my first kind of like close contact with enemy soldiers, you know? And so. Can you say what happened to that tent? Well, I, the next group came in and, uh, they basically, I'm, I'm not sure what they did with it. I mean, you know what I'm saying? I'm not sure they, cause they weren't at that time. Uh, I think they had, it, a ceasefire had happened and they're working out the no fly zone and all this other stuff. So it wasn't like we were going to call an airstrike in on this thing, you know, cause, uh, like I said, desert storm was what, two weeks. So didn't take long. And then you had that whole, I mean, the other thing too, you had that highway of death, those A-10s yep. just chewed up all of those tanks was, and armor. That was south of us. Then it rolled in to provide comfort. 
for the Kurds up north. So we actually ended up helping uh, with that humanitarian crisis uh, after we quit doing our sniper missions and all that. So. Yeah, and I was just curious if you ever had any dealings with the Kurdish fighters because I've I've always heard excellent things that they were very good fighters over there. Yeah, we uh, we showed up. We landed in the CH-53s. We went and got in our tent uh, up in the, in Turkey, Salopi, Turkey, and uh, <clears throat> I mean we had just put our kit down, and our commander he'd went off whatever. Uh, to go let people know we were there or whatever. And he comes running back in. He goes, hey, get your kid on. We're going on a uh, CSAR. We had a helicopter go down. I mean, this is like, we just got there. We're like, yeah. So, uh, What's CSAR? It's a search rescue, search and rescue, basically. Uh, you, you know, you're, you've got an aircraft that's went down, and you're going to try to rescue uh, the pilots and the crew and all that. So, CSAR. And so... Uh, we, uh, we got in a 53, no, I think there's a 47. I think at this point we went and got on a 47 CH 47 Chinooks, right? Yep. And then, uh, so, you know, they're like, they're giving us updates as we're flying into Iraq, you know, this helicopter. And it was a 53 that had been, uh, shot down. Uh, I don't know. And they, I never learned what it was shot down with, but it was, they're like, yeah, it's shot down. And uh looks like there's about 50 guys around the wreckage, you know, uh, blah, blah, blah. And, 50 bad guys, good guys? Well, okay, so we didn't know, you know. So uh, it's just, hey, there's there's 50 guys around it, you know, basically with weapons. So uh, we're just like, all right, looking at each other. And, I mean, none of us have been in really anything that's, you know, remotely combat. And so uh, – we land this thing probably 200 yards from this thing. We peel out of this helicopter and everybody gets on, you know, half circle around the helicopter. It takes off and then we form up in our patrol and we start moving toward this helicopter. And we're seeing these people with AK-47s and, you know, and, and so, you know, we're just kind of trying to get to that helicopter and secure it. Well, we get to the helicopter and uh, our platoon commander, you know, basically makes – some kind of contact with the indigenous and it was Peshmerga. That's who it was. Oh. And so they were actually on our side and, uh, we ended up, you know, uh, you know, ha- having a great relationship with them. We actually sat down, had a meal with them. We, you know, we sat with that, uh, helicopter for two days waiting for, uh, the word of what to do with it. And I uh, got the crew out and, uh, 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 basically ended up burning the helicopter because there was no way for them to get it out. So, Well, when you guys first got there, not knowing who those people were, how did you avoid a firefight? Well, us not being ever being in combat, you know, it was one of those things that they're, and they weren't pointing their weapons at us. They had their weapons slung or they had it held down to their side. We had our weapons up. So we had the drop on them and we had enough sense to know, well, well, these people aren't firing at us and Iraqi uh, militaries in uniform. And these are all in like civilian clothes and this, that, and the other thing. So it was, it was a tense situation for a little bit, you know, until, uh, you know, we got our, 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 our perimeter around the helicopter and then the commander actually, he just walked up to one of them and he actually waved to and he waved back and he walked up and started talking to him and the guy spoke English. So that was, yeah, it was good. I mean, you know, we were ready for it, but nobody was going to like 
be the first to fire a shot when they weren't like pointing their weapons at us. So well, that greatly reduced the pucker factor too, didn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Now if they'd had <laughs> weapons up when we got off the plane, who knows, you know, but so right. talk about the crew. You said you went out there. Did, did all the crew survive? The crew survived, got them all out of there. Uh, I mean, I, that's why I say, I think they must've been low level or something and, and they may have got hit with a ditch gun. They had to put it down. It really wasn't just a crash, you know, cause it was in pretty good shape. You know, I think the tail rotor was, messed up a little bit so they really just had a hard landing and then uh and like i said i mean they all survived and and uh, got them out nice wow so um you but you finished uh, but uh beyond that did you have some other missions uh that you did before you came back stateside yep so we did uh the uh there was a squadron of apaches there and they have a, and back then uh, the Kiowas that actually found the targets for the apaches were these little uh, uh i think ah58 i think is the nomenclature it's called a kiowa but they're unarmed they were back then so they would go in in front of the apaches and look for tanks uh troops whatever for the apaches to shoot you know and so well they were getting lit up every night when they would go out they'd just be taking fire so they came to our platoon. They're like, hey, do you guys have some snipers, you know, in your uh, platoon that we could have ride with us, you know, uh, to give us some cover, you know, at night when we're out riding around, you know, and we're like, well, we don't have any night vision. And they're like, well, we, we'll give you a set of our night vision. So they had nods. The pilots did back then. And so we rigged up, uh, uh, I had an M16 with a huge laser on the top. It was like a foot long with, and it was just a triangle looking thing. It was like a first generation red laser, uh, rigged it on top of my rifle, went out and shot it, tried to zero it in and, uh, and then went and got on this helicopter and I just had a piece of tubular nylon, which is just this, uh, flat. Uh, material that you, you, you can make slings and stuff out of. So I had about a eight foot piece of tubular nylon that I hooked on a ring in the middle of that Kiowa helicopter in the back so that I could shoot out of each side. I could move from one side to the other and shoot out of each side. So, uh, uh, they gave me a helmet with their nods on it. And so, man, you flip that thing down and it's just like daylight, you know, compared to anything I'd ever seen as far as night vision. Cause we had, a we had a couple of, uh, you know, starlight scopes basically is what they were from vietnam and they were nothing as close to being as clear as these night vision that the pilots had so we'd just be flying around and we'd take fire and then i'd you know basically where we was taking fire from i'd return fire into that you know uh building or if a guy was shooting i just you know you just return fire on the guy and uh and so like one night we were coming back from uh, one of these missions and uh we met a British, I think they're called a hurricane, their helicopters, uh, uh, and we met them head on. And so, thank goodness, the pilots, our pilots banked this way and they banked that way. And we missed, the, the skids missed each other as they passed each other like Holy this. Cow. And I went Dang. out the door. I was, I was totally out the bottom door hanging from my tether <laughs> of uh, my eight foot piece of tubular nylon. So I'm hanging underneath this helicopter. And then once we get uh, past these helicopters, they, they write themselves and I'm still hanging underneath the helicopter. My ICS has flew off. You know, I was talking to the pilots with, I had a set of headset <laughs> like this on. So uh, I'm basically dangling under the helicopter. And luckily I had my uh, weapon slung on me. So I didn't lose my weapon. So I, I basically, I don't know what the pilots were thinking. You know, they just kept trucking. And, uh, 
I basically claw my way back up this line and then you get into this helicopter and I get my ICS, my, my headset back on. I'm like, Hey guys, they're like, Hey, we was wondering where you at. <laughs> oh, dang. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the and, British are going, Oh, that's one crazy mate. He's hanging out the, he's hanging out the helicopter. He's hanging out the chopper. No, they were cleaning their drawers just like the, our pilots were, you know, cause it was just like, I mean, it was so, cause I mean, you know, they're probably looking left and right, you know, looking for stuff and they really weren't paying attention in front of them. And the, pilot, the Brits were doing the same thing. And I mean, at the last second, they, everybody just happened to bank the correct way. So we didn't hit each other head on. Hey players, that is the end of part one. Part two, as always, comes out on Thursday. In the meantime, check us out at Game of Crimes on Twitter, at Game of Crimes Podcast on Facebook, at the Instagram. But where you got to be, where you got to be, where you got to be, got to be on patreon.com slash Game of Crimes. We have a ton of good stuff, including if you are at the right level, Guardian of the Realm and Warden of the Throne, we have just released part one, episode one of the real DEA Narcos talking about the real DEA Narcos, Cali edition, Chris Feistel and Dave Mitchell go in-depth 16 hours about how they took down the Cali cartel. Information you will not hear anywhere else in the world, not on Netflix, not anywhere, not in a book, only right here on Game of Crimes at patreon.com slash Game of Crimes. In the meantime, also go check out our webpage, gameofcrimespodcast.com. We've got the latest merch, pictures for every episode that we put up, books that our guests write. We only put up books that they write. We put them up there. So we thank you once again for being a player in the biggest, baddest, most dangerous game of all, the... Game of Crimes.